the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us at 6 a.m. in the morning in Memphis, Tennessee. Is it that early? It is. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it is that early. See, I was doing fine till you just said it out loud. That's kind of what I thought after I just said it. <laughs> Good morning to you. Good morning. Did you see that beautiful, beautiful rain yesterday I afternoon? Did. I did. I'm glad I was at the garden center to mm-hmm. see it because if we were out in Lakeland, nothing. Yeah, I got home. There was a, it rained a little bit, yeah. but a smidge. <laughs> I mean, water was flowing down Poplar it Avenue. Was. I mean, it was a sideways rain, and then. You know, about 20, 25 minutes later, it was a good straight yeah. down rain. And I'm thinking, God, please be doing this at my house. I, and it wasn't. Yeah, we were standing on the front porch at work, just watching it pour because we needed to roll the racks. Isn't it amazing how we're just watching center. the rain uh-huh. now? I mean, yeah. like, what is this? I know. But you'll be proud of me, Veda. Last Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, we had that beautiful rain. Right. Last yes, Sunday, last okay. Last Sunday. Mm-hmm. I already had my fertilizer poured in the spreader. Yeah. And I got a... Uh, leaf bag and put it over the spreader, mm-hmm. tied it up really tight. And I told my wife, if I happen to be upstairs helping you clean <laughs> out the playroom and you hear rain, let me know. Well, sure enough, it started raining uh, Sunday mid-morning, mm-hmm. right? So I run outside because you never know if the rain's going to last two minutes or all day. You yeah. just don't know. So I'm out there, raincoat on, boots, and mm-hmm. putting this lawn food down <laughs> in the rain. But I can do that because I've got the plastic yeah. bag over my spreader, right? Right. And I'm thinking, just give me 30 minutes mm-hmm. of rain. That's all I want, just to water this thing in. Because I haven't fed my lawn but the one time in the early spring. Mm. And I because it's been so dry, my Great. grass yeah. basically went summer dormant. Mm-hmm. And it didn't want to grow. So I was out there, and I put the fertilizer down, and it rained more or less all day long, which yeah. was so perfect. My grass is so green right now. Really? Yes, Great. Yes, Yeah, I'm telling For you. one week, and it's... I mean, it's, it is green, green. And it was... Burnt? Yeah, looking. off-color, brown, yellow-looking. Mm-hmm. This um, was front and back? Or front and back. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. the front wasn't so intense, was it? wasn't it? so bad, but it was mm-hmm. still... I mean, it was off-color. I mean, it wasn't yeah. thick and green-looking. <laughs> But I feel, so I cut it. Uh, what is it today? Saturday. When I got home Thursday afternoon, I had to cut my front yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still got to get to the back. <laughs> but oh, I can't get just... to it because it's wet. Can I, I can't believe I'm saying that. It's, it's because it rained yesterday. But Wasn't it such a wonderful feeling yes. to just look at your yard, yes. clean, edge, yes. nice, beautiful green grass. Yes, it F- was. Felt like there was hope for and, shrubs and, I, and trees. And I put a pretty high nitrate fertilizer down. And it's the last feeding I'll do during the growing mm-hmm. season. Now, this fall, I'll put, you know, a fall fertilizer, winterizer or something down, uh, you know, that's got more potassium. But it's amazing how you can water your lawn every day with that sprinkler just to keep the thing alive, okay? And all it takes is one good rain, and it just makes all the difference in right. the world. That's that's what we were saying at the garden center. I mean, you know, of course, we're watering and watering and watering. But after the rain, I mean, you it's amazing. Can, it, it, it just feels more fluffy and, and lush. You know, and, and every time I say the word urea, you know, you and Jim get mm-hmm. all over me ah. because it's pure nitrogen. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I made sure that I didn't put it down too heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit goes a long way. And the, the big thing is you got to make sure that you get that stuff watered in. And I really don't have the time to move sprinklers around all day and night yeah. to get it watered in. So I always wait until 
uh, it's either I know it's going to rain or mm-hmm. during the rain. That's a really good idea because you save water that way also. Yeah, well, in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thing, yes. But, Faith, I just, I'm telling you, I just can't. I wish I had taken a before and after picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is amazing. And all the lawns needed out there was just a good rain. That's just all they wanted. Now, the landscape, like I told you last weekend, you know, I've been watering it. You know, my tr- my shrubs, not my tree, but my shrubs and everything. Uh, and you had to. Uh, but, you know, in my irrigation system is me and the hose, right? Yeah. But uh, my lawn, you know, I started watering it early on, and I just didn't, I just couldn't keep up. So I said, I'm just not going to water my lawn. And I knew that it might go off color, mm-hmm. which it did, but I knew it wasn't going to die. Yeah. Okay? Right. Well, I didn't know that, but I was pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think you probably would have watered. Oh, I would if have. If it had not rained, would you have still put your fertilizer out? No. You'd have to water. Yeah, you'd have to water so much. Because like I said, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't cut my grass for three weeks. Isn't and then the next thing I know, yes. Uh, and then, I, you know, I put this fertilizer down with the rain. And I truly had to cut it four days later. It's just, um, uh, that's the amazing part what of it, I'm telling you. What is the weather anyway? I Do don't we know. Get, um, let's see. We'll look at the forecast. I mean, it kind of gets you there, right? But, wow, it's it looks like it may rain all week. But, you know, it kind of depends on where you are. Did you just say? It? I did. I did. Monday, Tuesday. Well, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'll have chances of rain. I have no problem with that. But and you not know, was- above 90 either. I have no problem with that either. Yeah, and it's feast or famine. I mean, but I'm telling you, you know, they said this happened back in the 80s. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember that it, there were trees that were dying on the side of the road, small saplings, because it was so hot and dry back in the 80s. And I've seen some of that this year, believe it or not. Yes, I have too. Uh, I mean, it's I amazing remember. now. I don't know if the trees are dead, but I know all the foliage on the tree mm-hmm. had, had dried up. Um, but I mean, I, it's just hard to believe how hot and dry it can get here in the mid south. And I remember that year I went to basketball camp, and that was a hard year because it was so hot, even on the basketball court. Yeah, <laughs> and, and of course, I know that you've got a lot of container plants on your balcony, uh, and you know that's the one thing that we really had to stay on top of. Uh, and we've talked about this, but if you use, if you're using, or if you did use, <laughs> or if you didn't, a good high quality potting soil, it made a big difference, Veda. Oh, it does. And, you know, There's... and for the people that didn't, and, you know, and I'm, listen, I'll save money anywhere and everywhere I can. I'm telling you, I will. But when it comes down to potting soil, I'm going to spend a couple extra dollars and get a high quality yeah. potting soil. It just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, they ask us at work, how do we keep our containers so nice? And we use the Outdoor Container Garden Potting Soil Mix. And it has a different weight than the indoor potting mix or the... Our uh, topsoil. Right, or the supernatural compost. You know, it has a different mix and it's heavier weight but not heavy enough to hold water too long. And that's what I always say. A, the perfect potting soil actually holds moisture, but at the same time it drains. And people are like, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is a such a thing. And when you go through a summer like we just went through, I mean, you've got to have good drainage because we're watering so much, we hope. Uh, but you also got to have, if you're not watering like you really should, you still have to have that same soil that's going to hold some moisture. So... I mean, it's been a challenge, but I'm telling you, I just can't tell you how much of a difference in my lawn, my landscape, that that one rain last Sunday made. I'm just, it's, it's amazing. Well, also, 
want to remind everyone, even though it has rained so much that you may go outside and check your flower beds, pull, pull the mulch back and see if water actually penetrated all that mulch and the soil. <laughs> this is kind of like when we water and then you're watering, watering and you pull the mulch back and it's still dry. <laughs> But rainwater is wetter, too, so it probably, you know, penetrates better. But then that's the reason why so much stuff drains off into the street is the soil can't absorb it. Well, and there again, you know, speaking going back to last Sunday, even at some point yesterday, but going back to last Sunday, it was such a perfect rain. Uh, It wasn't a heavy rain all day. It was just a good, steady uh, you know, light rain, and that's exactly what we needed. Uh, You know, it, it, it got everything wet. And then that way the water could actually penetrate instead of like so many times we see, like you just said, Veda, where it just runs down the yard into the curb and down the drain. Right. And yeah, I mean, that's water, but that's not a good watering. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we could save water so easily, but we would have to have water towers in our backyard. But we can use all the um, 55 gallon drums that are more decorative now. Uh, off the water spouts, collect water like that. Every every little bit helps. I remember a lady that had the 55-gallon drums at the bottom of her water spouts, and she grew water garden plants in it mm. to keep it with fresh water. Oh. And then, you know, did her watering with it. Well, and I know we got to go to a break, but I was talking to a guy yesterday in the garden center, and he uses in his on his garden um, pond water. Yeah. And he said yeah. there's just no substitute between water coming out of the tap, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of people have to do like me, yeah. or drawing from a pond. I mean, that good pond water has got all the microbes and everything mm-hmm. in it. And he was just almost bragging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got it all set up. We did that in Bryan College Station at the garden center there. There was a pond, and the water's salty. So you can imagine, you know, Ooh. all the salt buildup that could happen. So uh, Why was, was it so salty, you think? Just the way they had the water. You yeah. Know, I don't even know why. It didn't taste it, but it just it was just, just had the tap extra, water. Yeah, just yeah. the tap. So we put a big pump in the... Um, pond and hooked a water hose to it Yeah, and just watered with that. Big difference. Yes. Okay. We're going to head to a break. Y'all can call us at 260-5926 or check us out on Facebook Live. You can put questions there too. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call 260-5926. Or you can post questions on the Facebook Live at Mid-South Gardening. If you can't um, listen to it all, check us out on our podcast. And we're also streaming mm-hmm. now at kwamradio.com. Yeah, and go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there also. But, that, you know, how we live with the varmints. You know that. Mm-hmm. It, I guess we always will. <laughs> and I'd never seen... I mean, really, hopefully we do. ...this before. <laughs> Uh, a man and woman walked into the garden center, and they had this elephant ear that was probably, you know, five foot tall, had still had the ears on it, and it was just droopy, and you could see uh-huh. where it was, it was just starting to die back. And they laid it on the counter, and they said, Kenny, what do you think is the problem? Well, I said, well, where's the bulb, you know? <laughs> a vole had eaten that bulb. I mean, I'm talking about up to up to ground level. Okay, it's a big bulb. So yeah, yeah. So the only thing that was left was just the the stalks, the ears, you know, the the yeah. leaves, and just a, almost like an inverted cup, <laughs> the top of the bulb, just the very top of it. 
they had eaten that thing up, and they're like, you know, did I cut it off when I was digging it up, or did it rot? Right. And I was like, no. I mean, you could even see the teeth marks in the very top of this, what was left of the ball. I wonder if they were going for moisture. I don't know. Maybe. I thought mm-hmm. I thought about that. But I had never seen voles, Mm-mm. V-O-L-E-S, not a mole, but a vole, eating a alocasia or a calocasia bulb in my life. Me either. And they, they ate the whole thing except for the very top. And like I said, you know, these poor people had no clue until this thing started to wilt and die back. And then went out there, they had they had they had their shovel and they grabbed the stalk of the elephant ear getting ready to dig it up and it kind of just came right out, out of the ground. ground. So they were smart bringing in the root system or trying to bring in the root and system. And of course most of the root system was gone also, yeah. but I mean, I'm like, what in the heck? And I guess, you know, I mean, just because I've never heard of them eating elephant mm-hmm. bulbs doesn't mean it, it might be caviar to them, as far mm-hmm. as I know. But I just, I'd never seen that before. But like you said, I thought the same thing. It had been so hot and so dry for so long, It other than maybe a good meal, yeah. it could be the moisture that was in there. I wonder how many did that. I mean, that one's got to be so full if I mean, it ate all that bulb. And, and it's one of those things where, and that's the problem with voles, is you don't realize the damage until it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, you look over there and your elephant ear or whatever they're gnawing on is starting to die. And by that time, the roots and the bulb are gone. Boy, when insects can get a hold to something, like the tomato hornworms, if they're on a tomato and you wake up the next day, the tomato is just half gone. One little hornworm with that little bitty mouth just devoured it. Well, they asked me, they said, okay, yeah, we've seen little quarter-sized holes out there Mm. also, which is kind of telltale signs that... They've had voles, and they're like, so what did we do? I mean, you can't stick a mousetrap underground. I said, yeah, but you can put one on top of the mm-hmm. ground. And they're like, huh, mousetrap? <laughs> I was like, you know, to get rid of voles, you, you, you've got different angles. You can get repellents, of course. Uh, you know, one repellent that you and I always talk about, Veda, is just something that contains castor oil, whether it's Mole Go, Mole Max, mm-hmm. which is a mole and vole repellent. Uh, there's some ramic rat bait. Uh, looks like a little green marble that you can drop down in every hole that you see once a week for about three weeks to feed them, if you will. <laughs> Here's some, you know, some bait for you. And, uh, and then, you know, I mentioned the mousetraps. Now, most people don't do this, but you can get old-fashioned mousetraps, you know, wooden, or just mm-hmm. mousetraps, okay, and put a piece of a pecan on there. And you bait it, of course, and you set that baited trap beside one of the little quarter-sized holes that you see. And then you get like a clay pot and you cover the trap. And you will be amazed how many voles you can snap mm-hmm. with those mouse traps. And these people were so beside themselves. They got Momax, they got Ramic, mm-hmm. and they said they're going to get some mouse traps. They're going to do all three. And I said, that's, you know, in theory, I understand where you're coming from because you want to get rid of these things. I said, but hold off on the repellent if you're going to use the bait. You know, because or, then they'll leave yeah, and not eat the bait. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but they are, you know, they were up mm. to their neck. They're like, uh-uh, we're not going to have this. And I was like, well, you might yeah. because they're not the easiest things to get rid of, kind of like a mole. Yeah. And then when you lose your elephant ears, that's a really hard one to lose because they're so beautiful mm. right now. Well, but they were afraid of all the other stuff that was in the bed. And like this young lady said, she said, we've got a beautiful bed of hostas on the other mm-hmm. side of their backyard. And uh, she's and, and I said, look, they love hosta. I mean, hostas really are caviar to a vole. We all know that. And I said, 
if you're going to use this repellent, I would start in that bed over there where those hostas are because <laughs> they find out where the hostas are, it's game over. Oh, that would be painful because some of them could be collector. I mean, collector hostas, it's amazing how much, you know, anything that's new and that you want to collect, you just know that it's going to be mm-hmm. more high dollar. It's, uh, say, in houseplants. We have some of the normal houseplants that have been grown forever, and they're seven ninety nine, you know, yeah. $9.99. But then when mm-hmm. we got the pink princess philodendron, mm-hmm. it's like up in the $70 range. It's amazing. And yeah. what's that, that ficus, that Audrey ficus? Uh, yeah, Audrey, I love which is that. A, I mean, it's the neatest. You know, we've all mm-hmm. grown up with ficus trees, okay? Yeah. And when I was growing up, it was always just the, what, the Benjamina, mm-hmm. just the old-fashioned yeah. uh, ficus tree. And then everybody kind of went to the fiddle-leaf fig, the mm-hmm. big-leafed ficus tree. And then there's this one, uh, I guess, called Audrey yeah. uh, ficus. Had and a then lady, there's the Ali that has the long, long leaves it, on it's it. It's pretty neat. So, yeah, and those always tend to cost a little more, uh, especially, like you said, Veda, some of these new additions, yeah. and whether it's philodendrons or whatever. But it's, it is, you know, we, we fight the pest and the insects and diseases and everything every day. But it's kind of disheartening when you've got this varmint that lives in the ground like a mouse. But in this case, it's a vole just eating your landscape up. It is. And that Audrey uh, houseplants that you're talking about, it's even though it's a ficus, it's really durable in those light conditions. And, you know, like a rubber tree plant's actually a ficus, too. So the Audrey looks like rubber tree plant leaves but it's green and it just has a different leaf structure to it so if you're looking for something different and that one's not like it's a collector so it's more but when you know like palms some palms in the same container can be like 50 and i'm just throwing numbers out right but then you get the palm that lasts indoors better than all the other palms and that's like double so, now, <laughs> or you know, also some things that people don't know is new things they have a patent on them, and so the price is wrapped up in the um, the patent oh, price sure. is wrapped up in the price because that's got to be paid for something like seven years or something before the price will go down on a, a product. But isn't it amazing how you know how things change, you know. Ten years ago, I never would have dreamed that we would sell as many house plants mm-hmm. as we. I mean, we always we sold them forever, just like yeah. you have. But in the last, Veda, and you can back me up on this. In the last three years, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, mean, I don't think garden centers have ever sold as many house plants mm-hmm. as they're selling now. And of course, it's you know we always say it's the millennial generation that's growing up, where they're not getting enough time outside, but so they're bringing the outdoors indoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do love their houseplants, I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. I get people bringing photographs in of their apartment and how they've got – I mean, it's a mini landscape on the inside. It is. And it is just beautiful. And then the accessories that go with it, the pretty pots and um, the like the macrame hanging basket yeah. holders. Yeah. It's, it's just beautiful. Well, and, and, and the ladies really take care of the houseplant side at, at – Dan West, and like you take mm-hmm. care of the damn, uh, the houseplant side at Palladio's. But I was talking to a lady just the other day about she was looking for a particular houseplant, and she had over 200 houseplants, mm-hmm. okay? But she was looking for, it might have been the Pink Princess you're talking about, because 
that was the latest one out. Yeah. So it's almost like a collection, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people collect coins or whatever, but there are people out there that collect houseplants. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty amazing that it really is. It is. Because um, I'm thinking back, houseplants, uh, spathophyllium. Oh, God, peace lily. Yeah, just uh, and the, like spider said, plant. And the ficus tree. I mean, yeah. it was just, you know, you just your run of your meal, your boring, which when I say boring, they're all great. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the stuff that we've been selling since the 50s. I know. You know? Yeah, I mean, nobody heard of a peperomia. Yeah. And then all the varieties of peperomia there are. A philodendron. When did so many varieties of philodendron mm-hmm. come out? You know, it's it's incredible. So, um, I don't know. I'm just amazed. Well, and, and people learn just like outdoor, you know, planting, gardening. Uh, we all learn the hard way. Even houseplants, beta. You know, we were talking about potting soil a while ago. You better have a good, high quality potting soil, and people will eventually learn not to overwater their yeah. houseplants. <laughs> well, we do. We sell. The indoor earth mix and the fox farm soil. Well, and and that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But if you go, I know y'all have the. Fox but if you farm. go in there and start watering your house plant every day, uh, you're making a big mm-hmm. mistake, and, oh, and, and yes. it happens. It just yeah. does. We want to kill them with mm-hmm. tender love and care, and yeah. we do a pretty good job of it. Right. You know, I just have to use the moisture meter a lot of the times because mm-hmm. you can judge by the weight of the pot, but. If you've got it planted in another container, there's no way to judge. And she said moisture meter. That really means her finger, y'all. Yeah. We'll be right back. (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yep, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And once again, good morning to you, Miss Veda. Good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> Isn't that what that uh, Muppet says? Yeah, you got me. I don't got watch you. cartoons like I used to, Miss Veda. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gardening and stuff, you really don't have time to watch the cartoons, Exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, we were talking about houseplants a while ago, you know, how uh, people love houseplants. I mean, we're just, and I, I don't think it's, it's a fad Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think this yeah. is something that's going to be here for quite a long time. Yeah, because they're addicted now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, just just on the on the top of my hand, just make sure that you, you know, we all love the beautiful uh, ceramic or, or or decorative pots. Mm, you know, yeah. that absolutely have no drainage in them. And we talked about this last weekend how it's almost impossible to grow anything, especially a house plant. In a container that doesn't have drainage, beta. Yeah. So I like to tell people, you know, if it was me, especially if you're a novice, you want to make sure that you have uh, good drainage holes in the container that you're using. You want to use a good high-quality potting soil like we were talking about a while ago. Uh, you want to you want to keep houseplants, you got to keep them hydrated, but you do not want to keep them wet. And there are some that can take more water than others, but just overall – uh, I'd rather see people err on the side of slightly underwatering than they are overwatering. You know, when we, we we do intentionally get containers with no holes because you can do the, like, put a saucer in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, you really don't have to do that if there's no holes. But then we get the four-inch or the three-inch mm-hmm. containers, but we don't plant them. We just you, you set you them see, down yeah, in there. Right. So that way, but then... 
Of course, we put moss and all that to decorate it up. But then you have to water each little bitty pot. Mm -hmm. And the best way is we finally, we have a copper watering can that just has a little tiny spout on Mm -hmm. it. And that way you can just water each individual one. And eventually you can take it apart and put it in a little bit bigger containers and then have five plants. It reminds me, and Jerry, hang on just one second. We'll be right with you. It reminds me of when my wife buys an orchid. Mm -hmm. You know, the orchid's potted up in this little plastic pot. That, that, that is sitting in a, in a decorative pot, yeah. okay? And when she gets ready to water it, she just pulls it out of the decorative pot, mm-hmm. you know, in, and soaks it in water yes. and sets it back into the decorative pot. But a lot of people try to grow them, grow them, have them potted in containers that have no drainage. And that's a little that's, bit more of a challenge. That's than, a big challenge. You're yeah. right. Let's go to Jerry in South Haven. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks for the call. Good morning, good morning. McDonald's was calling me. <laughs> I see. I'm in envy of you, Jerry. Hey, we got Whataburger down here now. Ooh. See, now you're Ooh. just bragging. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting big time. Uh, they're still a little too crowded for lunch and that stuff. <laughs> What's going on today, buddy? Uh, I've got nut grass in a couple little spots that just all of a sudden popped up. All that rain. And then, and... Yeah. Go ahead. Know, some of us been there before the rain. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Jerry, let me ask you this. Is it growing in a grassy lawn area, or is it growing in, oh, the, yeah. in the beds? Mm-hmm. That's so yeah, irritating. Yeah, one of them is in a little bed, but, but it's only like a square foot area. Yes, sir. Right. Well, yeah, and the in the in the yard, about a two square foot area. Yeah. Well, I've always That's used image. image. How long does that take? Two weeks. Two to three yeah. weeks. If you Well, you're right. I mean, depending on the type of grass, if you use Bermuda or Zoysia, uh, image is a good product. Uh, it kills nut grass and it kills a lot of broadleaf weeds and it even kills some grassy weeds like crabgrass. In fact, I've got some, um, I've got image written down to talk about later on. But yes, if you use image, the stipulation is, Jerry, you, you spray the product, absolutely no rain for 24 hours, okay? But after that 24 hour period, within seven days, it needs to get watered in. It has to get watered in. And then if you need to, come back in three weeks and reapply it. But the only drawback with the image, like Veda was just alluding to, is it works slow. It's not going to work overnight. Now, it will work, but just you got to be patient. Now, another good product is a product called Sedge Hammer. It's actually a packet, a powder that you mix with water, put it in a pump-up sprayer, and go out there and spot treat uh, the nut grass is just a spot treat only. You can use it in the lawn. You can also use it in your beds. And then lastly, there is a fertilone product called uh, nut grass. Uh, what's it, Veda? Nut grass killer. Uh, a broadleaf, broadleaf weed and nut grass killer. It's got like sulfurentrazone in it. Uh, and it does a good job on nut grass. But Image or Sedgehammer are probably what we sell more than anything. Image actually selling, we sell more than anything when it comes to nut grass. Yeah, because I've seen it work. I've used it before, too. And the nutgrass, it's still standing up, but it's yellow. Yeah, and it takes a couple, two to three Mm -hmm. weeks after you spray, Jerry, to start seeing that nutgrass actually start turning those those deadish colors, if you will. I'll let you drive. uh, Like I said, it's awful amazing because it's one, especially in the front yard, the grass, uh, 
I've never had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something and could have changed in the soil structure too. Is um, if it's low, if the soil's low in humic acid or any type of organic matter, or if the soil has become compact or too wet. Those are conditions that nutgrass likes to live in. A lot of times, I've taken a pitchfork and loosened the soil. You know, give it, given it some air, added compost to the area. And had good results with it. It doesn't, it takes a while, but changing the soil structure eventually causes it not to come up there. So you're making it less conducive for the nutgrass to grow there. Monkey grass, will it? What's that, buddy? Will image hurt monkey grass? grass. No, you can spray image in monkey grass uh, to kill nutgrass. Yes, sir. I guess I'm gonna give it give it a shot because it's like I don't want it to spread. No, and Jerry, it will work. It's just like I said. I mean, I'm like you. When I spray a product, I mean, I want it to kill it the next day or that <laughs> same day. I really do. Mm-hmm. But with the image, if you if you're patient and you just know that it's gonna, it's going to take two or three weeks for it to really start killing that nut grass, uh, you won't be disappointed because it does. It's not going to work overnight. It wasn't there a weed product called malathion at one time. Uh, insecticide, yeah, that kills insects. No, but there, there was some other. There was some other weed killer. I think they took it off the market. Well, that, that was, was MSMA. That? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. The old Anzar or Drexar, Jerry, uh, MSMA. Now MSMA kills a lot of grassy weeds, but it's. I tell you, Image is better mm-hmm. for nut grass than MSMA was. Whatever it was, uh, I had a house I had in Hickory Hill back in the nineties. Yeah. I got hit by it, and I sprayed it, you know, I kept spraying it. Yeah. And I finally got rid of it, but Yeah, it took a while. Right. It's persistent. You have to be but persistent. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, but it discriminated against me yesterday. Who did? Y'all did in Memphis. What did we, oh. what did we do? We didn't get a drop of rain in South <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, well, yeah. I feel your pain. Listen, it's rained. My house, I've always told you, has got a bubble over the top of it. It can rain down the street. It can actually rain in my neighbor's yard and not rain in my yard. So I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I can see the clouds and the thunder all in White yes. Haven. Yeah, did you hear it? Yeah. Not, he didn't I get a drop. The state line and said, okay, we ain't crossing. I know. It's so frustrating, especially when you can feel the wind, the clouds, the thunder. You know you're going to get it. And then it just turns. Well, we'll send some your way, Mr. Jerry. Okay, take care. Thank, Thank you, buddy. you, Jerry. Thanks for the call. Have a great weekend, Jerry. Um, it's every time I talk about the changing the soil structure of the nutgrass, I always, when I'm explaining it, remember that one time and exactly where in my yard mm-hmm. I had that little patch of nutgrass. Mm-hmm. It's usually, like you said, where it stays too wet yeah. and the soil is compact, like right. you said, Veda. But then... There are times when all those things I've listed still is fine, yeah. and, it, and it comes up, and that's just how Mother Nature is. It and is. She, she teases us sometimes. It is, and, I, and I'm telling you, it's one of the, it's, it's not an easy grass to kill. In fact, it's not really even a wild grass. It's a sedge yeah. is what it is. Uh, but he was mentioning the product that people used to use a long time ago, which was MSMA. Uh, the old Anzar or Drexar. Did that ever work on that grass? It did. They did. It would yellow it up mm-hmm. also. Uh, but I still think products that are, I should say, not maybe specifically for mm-hmm. nut grass, but more specific for nut grass, do a little better job because you've got to kill the nut that's underground too. You can't just kill the top mm-hmm. of the, the grassy part right. because it's going to come back. 
Now, you can always go out there and spot treat with Roundup also, but be careful because Roundup's going to kill anything that it comes in contact with. Yeah, so if if it's in your lawn, then there goes your lawn. Yeah, you know, unless you've got two two or three little sprigs coming up. But he mentioned in monkey grass also. I mean, nutgrass loves monkey grass beds. In fact, it almost looks like monkey mm-hmm. grass, except the blade is thinner and, <laughs> and it's a little upright, taller. A little colored, a different green. Than your, than your monkey grass. And Image is one of the products that you can go in there uh, and spray established monkey grass to kill weeds and grasses, including nut grass, without harming the monkey grass. That's so fantastic. Things like that have been created. And as much as it pains me to say, the image works on the wild violets mm-hmm. also. And they're wild now, vi- what you're going to see is a little asterisk right beside mm-hmm. the word wild violet. And you look to the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. and it says multiple applications yes. may be needed. Oh, I know. They're intense, aren't they? so beautiful i was shocked the very first time working in a garden center and i was so shocked that somebody came in and wanted to kill um the the, yeah the wild violets and because that was some of my favorite memories at my grandmother's Mm. was collecting them and how beautiful they were on the hill see how she's flipping this she makes she makes it sound like violets are a great thing oh such a great thing but i then had my own yard and experienced them growing and seeding yeah. all in different places. So it's got its, you know, like grandmothers was out, was out in the uh, country. Yeah. So if they, oh, wherever sure. they went, it was fine. Well, Paul Little has given me two plants that just keep on giving. The sea oats. The northern sea oat, okay, <laughs> that you, either you move or you uh-huh. just enjoy them. Yeah. And then he did give me a clump of yellow blooming violets. It's, it's, oh, it's, that's right. And, yeah. and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool because the violets that we grew up with in our yard have that kind of purplish, mm-hmm. you know, bloom to it. Oh, and these are stark yellow. And I'm thinking, I'm going to just plant these back in this very back bed up under the mimosa tree. And I'm telling you, if really? you, you want to watch and see how a violet spreads. <laughs> you can sit there and watch it spread. It is, it is amazing, I'm telling oh. you. And the more you go back there and weed eat it, mm-hmm. um, you know, to cut it down, the more you spread it. Is the foliage a little bigger than the other? It is a little bigger. It's a little taller violet, and the Mm -hmm. and the leaf is a little bigger. But I mean, it 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 moves around just like a regular violet does. Man, I remember taking out northern sea oats out of flower bags. But I can't. I see. I think about Paul every day. Yes, that's (laughs) what he did for you. Yes, he did. All right, let's run away for a minute, but then we'll come back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So I have... Oh, do we have a... Let's say if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. And of course, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, Veda streaming live all the time, kwamradio.com. You can always go back and listen to the podcast if you missed the show this morning, which you, know, you really don't have an excuse to do that either. No. And our Facebook page at Jim's Administrator of Mid South Gardening. Yeah. Great, great Facebook page. So I was looking at an article where they're doing a 3D printing mm-hmm. um, mud wall. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Yeah. you got to tell me about this. 3D printing. First off, I never really looked or studied or 
about what a 3D printer looks like. You're just thinking it's a printer, and I'm going, how do they get things mm. out of the printer that's 3D? Um, but thinking it through or watching it, it's um, like this is a big arm, mm-hmm. that go, and they fill it with uh, soil and water, mm-hmm. and, and the thing just draws out a little wall, not huge. It could be like an edging to a flower bed, but it's twice, three times the height. And they also mix seed in it and uh, let the seed germinate. But the thing is, is I'm trying to figure out what's the point of it. And the only way to get that wall, I mean, I don't see how you could ship it. Like if uh, you were going to retail it in your garden center, how would you get it to you? And then you wouldn't want to make a big wall out of a big 3D machine. And it's going to compost down. And Yeah, you know, after every good rain, I guess you're going to lose right. some of your... Your soil. But they, but of course they were saying it's in the uh, future state, or it's in just now the uh, stages the, of The beginning invented. stages. Yes, so we'll see. Because I can see how it could be used in... S- and can I see how it could be used? I don't know. Be, I don't know. I guess it could be little, I don't know. But anyway, I'll keep you posted well, if they come kind of, up with a good idea. I mean, a primitive way is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, is a plow mm-hmm. in the ground where we're making <laughs> rows, Veda. Primitive. Yeah. And yeah. we're planting in the, you know, the rows. That I mean, makes we've, us primitive. We've done that forever. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe this will be an advanced version of oh, what we've done, yeah, you know, for the for centuries now. Well, that's true too, because now we have uh, boxes. We put boxes uh, everywhere and gravel in between them and garden in our boxes instead yeah, our raised of tilling. Beds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, and at first, oh my goodness, I did not like that idea at all. I liked the feeling of the big garden with the straight rows and the tilling and and just. The separation of all the plants. I liked that. Well, that was, but, but, you know, we started wanting to grow stuff in our backyards, uh, you know, not in a, a rural setting, yeah. if you will. So I evolved quickly into liking exactly. that. Because it was much easier. And you could actually have a garden. Because some people, they're not, they can't go out and till. Right. And do all that. Or plow. Or plow, yeah. And we all don't have mules anymore <laughs> in our yard, so... But then the boxes makes everybody able to garden. Well, and I was talking to a gentleman that was in the garden center yesterday, and he loves to garden. He gardens every year. And he does the, you know, the peppers, the squash, eggplant, tomatoes all the the way down. And he said that the only thing that he's got left in his garden now uh, is some squash and some okra. Everything else Mm -hmm. has been taken out. Uh, And he's looking forward to planting his fall garden. And I was just thinking, you know, that's not that far away. I mean, it's it's crazy. You know that, you know, know, a lot of the the spring and summer stuff, he's already Mm -hmm. pulled up. Well, I'm thinking, well, I know that I should start doing this, is build a little shade structure on like the lettuce and the spinach when it's first getting started. Because we have to start it like the middle to end of August. Mm -hmm. And there's still some hot days. Um, but that's like if you start with the plants mm-hmm. that you get in the garden center and if you put the plants in. I found it better to do a little shading through the warmer months because it's almost Initially, too warm. Initially, you mean early on. Yeah, because it's almost too warm. Now, what would you do? Put Just put up some uh, landscape fabric well, as, a, as a wall uh, that, to shade? Or, or we've or... actually just put 
because it was going to be temporary, like two stakes in the ground and a piece of cardboard leaning, because you don't have to have it really, really high. Cause because our because the pedestal is so so low. Yeah, and our sun is changing just a, enough to just have a cardboard leaning against, like a lean to. So guess. you're almost sneaking some of these fall plants in there early, mm-hmm. uh, and you know there again. I mean, because we know we can still have hot weather. Uh, you know, late August, even mm-hmm. early September. But typically that's when people will start planting, yeah. you know, their their fall crop, if you will. Yeah, so you're saying those little seedlings would Right. Yeah. So you're saying Veda, whether it's the little plants that you're putting in the ground or even the seed, uh, you're just making these little you know little temporarily yeah, little yeah. lean tos to shade uh the plant yeah. from the hottest part of the day. Oh my goodness. I, I was thinking about all the crazy things we had used to put some little shade on the seedlings. Uh, but remember, Miss was it Miss Catherine that called in all the time and she had the uh, garden down? I think she lived closer to the river. Yeah. But she would call us and let us know it was time to sow your greens, yeah. which was the end of August. Was it before 31st? There was some, some what some people call wise tales. Well, it, it was towards the end of August, yeah. yes, ma'am. Yeah, but that's coming up in seed, so they're getting acclimation time, too. And, and see, spinach is tough. It's pretty amazing, because I'm still in the spring and summer garden mode, you know. Right, yeah, I cannot believe. August seems to go by, even though it's hot, it seems to go by fast, because it's time to start figuring out what to order, what to bring in, yeah. do your vegetable garden. Yeah. You're kind of getting, then moms start coming in. Oh, so I'm yeah. going to go back and talk about the hummingbirds who love the hibiscus. Well, but real quick, though, <laughs> in the vegetable garden, whether it's a raised bed or whether it's a plot in your backyard, um, you know, you, you eventually we're going to get the spring and summer vegetable garden plants out, mm-hmm. right? And then I always like to refurbish the soil just a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're adding a little bit more compost back in there, of course, adding a little bit more fertilizer, like the garden tone, whatever, back in there. It's kind of like you're just a little refurbished, mm-hmm. almost like you did in the early spring, getting ready right. for the spring and summer vegetables. And you could even spray liquid fertilizer on the soil because that actually helps the other microbes and all that work quicker. And we want that to happen. Yeah. So, you know, they, because remember primitive times, like we said, where you would work your garden up, but then you had to wait three days or so to plant. And probably because I used hot manure, you know, some of the things was taking a little bit longer to break down before they planted. Now our soils come in bags and all that, so we have good luck with it. And we got that compost that's already composted. Yeah, Yeah, we love that. It's not hot. Right. We'll be back for the second hour after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We're in our second hour, and I'm getting awake a little bit. I see some sunshine. How about you, Kenneth? Some sunshine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) some sunshine. So you had a little NyQuil, did you, last night? Yeah, yeah. Slept like a baby, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and so what did it do? Make me not awake this morning. (laughs) Come on. Can't win it for losing it, you know. But if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. And you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there, Miss Veda, or go to kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time, okay? Yeah. 
So now there are classes in the agricultural industry to mm-hmm. learn how to use drones in what? your in their yeah so learn. during their lunchtime they're out there playing with drones yeah <laughs> well yeah that's <laughs> it that's it because it's got of course they have to fly it around you know with the remote control or however dr- drones work but it's able to see like check water conditions the bird's eye view yeah and then check spots for weeds so that way there's so much more efficient let's just put the the weeds are right here in this little spot they could pull them mm-hmm. before before they get but you know or put some weed killer on them and or drive that tractor that has those long booms on them mm-hmm. that has electrical current on each boom yeah. and so they raise it just enough to go over what they're growing and the weeds are sticking up and the electricity that's shocking them is killing the whole weed that's amazing how, how high tech farming mm-hmm. has become but they have to though yeah i mean it, yeah. It, well you know if you're going to produce the as much as you possibly can with the land that you have mm-hmm. uh it's not the old mules and plow like yeah. we were talking about a while ago it is so high tech now i mean even these tractors these guys are in yeah. you know with the gps's and all this stuff i mean they basically drive themselves mm-hmm. but like you said but i saw something about uh on one of the channels you know last year about a lot of the big farms using drones yeah. uh mostly for and they can do an infrared you know yeah. it's not just a yeah. picture you know i mean they can see exactly right. where the water yes. the hot spots are mm-hmm. the dry spots so it's pretty amazing and but even on the on our side of gardening mm-hmm. you know just you and i the homeowner uh it's to me it's gotten easier with the products that are out there yeah yeah that's true there's you know you were talking about manure a while ago you know you know yeah back in the old days we had to go shovel manure Mm -hmm. and you know hope that it was composted down enough before we put it in our garden well all these products are readily available now at the garden centers and then everyone is focusing more on the soil which healthy soil makes a healthy plant which then makes it harder for insect and disease to live there or it reduces it and any reduction is good in it and if you have to use an organic control mm. the less insects you know the easier and if you can't get a hold of it like that you can go to the synthetic but now a lot of them are low toxicity well yeah we used to be concentrating on just finding a nice looking plant yeah, or finding the did. seed that we wanted mm-hmm. and didn't really think much about the soil well it, you're right Veda. it's got to be just the opposite you've got to really think about it all starts with the soil yeah. you know so get that soil prepped uh, you know that's why we said always add the compost uh, make sure the ph is up where it needs to be put some nutrient value in your soil other than compost mm-hmm. like the fertilizers uh, make sure you're getting the adequate amount of sunlight you know that's a big right. deal also <laughs> uh, and then water as needed you know during the growing season and that's true whether it's a spring summer garden or whether it's a fall garden you know what's amazing is how much you can garden and still not know (laughs) like for instance growing up um i understood about vegetable gardening uh understood about the rose gardening and all that well we lived in italy Mm. and um europe italy not italy texas and went down to the little shop on the corner and bought some impatience Mm -hmm. oh so excited they're so beautiful went promptly out into the most full sun area I could have and stuck those things out there they lasted a good three days didn't they and I'm thinking well how did 
my grandfather and parents grow all this stuff. And so it, it became a new awakening to, wait, there's more than this. Yeah. So even I had just started doing my own planting and all because you know grandparents and mom and all them they're going to plant everything and not let you touch it yeah (laughs) back in the day now we have our kids just down in there with us you know we were talking about jerry had called this morning he was that we were talking about image on nutgrass well i made a note last night to also talk about crabgrass because there again it's it's like you know when it was so hot and so dry um yes my lawn was going semi-dormant because of that well, it seemed like the little places where I have crabgrass were also gone, had gone semi-dormant because they just wasn't noticeable, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, after these rains that we've had, a couple good rains and, you know, feeding my lawn, well, the crabgrass is back like, I mean, <laughs> hunky-dory, oh, right? Really? Yes. So I'm like, I know, I'm going to, I've got to get rid of this crabgrass. So, you know, I know there's a product called Weed Out with crabgrass killer that's got quinchloric in it. Mm-hmm. And quinchloric is kind of what took the place of MSMA when they took it off the market, yeah. the Anzar and the Drexar. And it really wasn't quite as strong. Well, but it does a good job. But the mm-hmm. problem is, Veda, it's mixed with the broadleaf weed killer, meaning that if you want to use quinchloric to kill crabgrass, oh. does a good product, it does a good job of it. You can't use it when the temperatures mm-hmm. are above, say, 86 degrees. Okay, so bec- you're stuck. Right. With- bec- you, you, you can only use it in the spring or then again in the fall, okay? Well, I've got crabgrass growing crazy right now. In the summer. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I'm going to use image instead of the mm-hmm. quinchloric because I don't want to use it when it's uh, the quinchloric yeah. when it's above uh, 86, 89 degrees. So the image, there again, as long as I know that I can go out there and spray my Bermuda lawn, not a problem mm-hmm. whatsoever, no rain for 24 hours, like we said, but then after that 24-hour period, within seven days, it needs to get watered in. And if I'm just patient, knowing that it's going to take longer than some of the other herbicides we're used to, yeah. uh, you know, I'll be just fine. Uh, so it, it, there are products that you can use in the summertime now when the temperatures are above 89 degrees to kill a lot of these mm-hmm. broadleaf and grassy-type yeah. weeds, image being one of them, right. for sure. Well, if your yard is uh, not stressed like yours was because of the heat, <clears throat> right, and you've <clears throat> got it growing lush and, right. and taller, even if the crabgrass comes up, it's easier to hand-pull. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, not a lot of people want to do that, but I remember hand-pulling <clears throat> crabgrass out of my lawn, but it wasn't a lot. So then the next year, I made sure I put pre-emergent down later. You're in reading s- my... Yeah. Did you have to miss that one because they, we're so busy? You yeah, couldn't do you're it? reading my mind. And just and one of the best ways, best ways to prevent and, and get rid of crabgrass is to get that pre-emergent down. Typically, you know, we, we'll put a pre-emergent down in our lawn about every three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once you put it down and water it in, it, it has about a three-month residual. I mean, after that mm-hmm. three months, uh, 90 days, it's, it's more or less done its yeah. job. But n- it's funny since, you know, we're not, we're not using MSMA like we used to because you can't even buy it in the garden centers anymore to kill crabgrass. Well, people have finally learned that, okay, I don't, there's not a great post-emergent mm-hmm. out there, so I'm going to use a pre-emergent to keep it from coming up to start with. And if you start using those pre-emergents, especially when it comes to crabgrass, 
you're in, you're golden. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. So a nice, thick, healthy lawn, and then mm-hmm. using your pre-emergence is going to do wonders. Oh, it is. For, yeah. And so then we got to go to the flower beds. So the same pre-emergent you use in the lawn, you use in the flower beds. A lot of times you can. Oh, well, let's go with the dimension. Well, the dimension, That's you the definitely one. can. Yeah. <laughs> so I know I'm thinking, oh, there's no more pre-emergence because dimension does everything. But there are still some others on the market. There are. And, and like you said, growing up, you know, we would have to get one pre-emergent specifically for the beds, mm-hmm. another pre-emergent specifically for the lawn. Uh, and then the high-yield weed and grass topper that contains Dimension yeah. uh, is one that you can actually use in both. And it does a really good job. But I'm telling you, if you want a really pretty weed-free lawn, you almost have to start using a mm-hmm. pre-emergent in your lawn care maintenance. Right. Yeah, and if you have a lot of lawn or a lot of weeds, that means your soil's compact or not healthy. Um, you know, you've got, it's thin, your grass could be thin and that gives you, it gives the lawn a chance to grow lots of weeds. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, weed seeds are being blown around every mm-hmm. day, all day. And you're not going to have a lawn that is 100% weed free. Yeah. You're just not. But, um, if you're like me, you know, like I've told you a thousand times, I can't walk to the mailbox and back mm-hmm. without stopping to pull a freaking weed. I know, just can't help you it. Know? So uh, when we get back, we've got fall armyworms and stink bugs. And I'm going to talk about is a mimosa tree a good or bad thing? Uh And I'm going to tell you my take and why I'm going to tell you that. Ah, All right. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So since bugs are icky... But they're pretty, too. <laughs> so uh, let's go to the, uh, I want to know about the mimosa. The mimosa tree, okay? You know, growing up in the South, either, you know, we've all seen mimosas when they're in full bloom. And if you read about mimosas, you're thinking there's no way in this world I'm planting a mimosa tree in my yard. You know, <laughs> supposedly yeah. they're very brittle, kind of like the old Bradford pears. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get silkworms all over them. They're messy. You know, they like to drop their seeds, and you'll have a million mimosas coming up. Those are the bad things, right, mm-hmm. potentially. Well, years ago, my wife <clears throat> wanted a mimosa tree. Oh, no, you <coughs> meant you wanted the mimosa. Actually, yeah, I did. Yeah, I remember. In, um, in my backyard. So I uh, found a mimosa tree. I knew a, a guy that had some land. And I knew he had a big pond out there. And I'm thinking, if I go out there and walk around the pond, I'm going to find a mimosa tree. And sure enough, I did, <laughs> right? So I dug up uh, a mimosa tree that was only like four or five foot tall. Took it home. I think I leaned it against the fence for a couple of days before he stuck it in the ground. It was absolutely fine, right? Anyway, move forward, you know, 20 years later, I've got this massive mimosa tree in my backyard, in the corner of the backyard back against the woods and it's i mean it's never been a bad tree right. you know, know. It, it, it i mean not to the point where if you read about them they're saying no 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 don't ever plant one but the reason veda that i like it other than just the look of the mimosa <clears throat> excuse me and the in the blooms i didn't notice this until this year and until a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago and i don't know why I looked up there. I was in the backyard working, you know, mm-hmm. whether I was cutting the grass or edging or, you know, blowing off the back patio, whatever. But I looked up and at this mimosa tree, and there were probably a thousand butterflies. Wow. I'm telling you, 
around this and on huh. this mimosa tree. They were flying wow. around I and they were going to bloom to bloom. I'm telling you, they did. And it was just, I was like, my God, that is a hmm. lot, a lot of butterflies up there. And they were just having a ball, I'm telling you. I wonder if they were just flying through. No, no. These things were going from bloom to bloom. Now, yeah, they might have been hmm. passing through, but I tell you what. <laughs> There's a difference between flying through and passing <laughs> well, through. Well, but I mean, it's not like, you know, they were just flying yeah. through the tree and didn't stop to. I mean, but I'm telling you, they were really enjoying the blooms of this mimosa. And then, of course, they, you know, hummingbirds love them. So, you know, if, you, if you've if you never grown a mimosa tree, and I'm not saying run out there and grab a mimosa tree, but I'm just saying if you read about them, mm-hmm. you'll never plant one. Okay? Yeah, you're exactly right. This lady was wanting one, and garden centers don't really carry them anymore. She couldn't find anywhere, no. and I'm like, quote, unquote, they call them trash trees, and yep. all of a sudden, everybody's thinking that's true. But I'm like, you, I n- never had a problem with them. Now, they were great for uh, playing pretend with. Yeah. When we were growing up, the uh, mimosa seed pods would be some type of food. The little, uh, the way the leaves are, you know, they're so... Ferny-like. Yeah, that's yeah. the word, ferny-like. So we could pull off the leaves. And then the and blooms have are that, beautiful. Yeah, that'd be in a bowl like your cereal. And then the blooms would be your dessert. Yeah. And, and we would just play all day And my wife that. said she, they would play up under the mimosa tree. And they were they thought they were leprechauns for some reason. Oh. I'm like, but there's there's always a story behind uh-huh. you know it seems like the, a mimosa tree. But uh, yeah, I mean I'm just saying I, I love the idea that there were so many so many butterflies mm-hmm. up there uh, during their you know just enjoying the blooms of this mimosa tree. So yeah, but I mean it's one of those where hey I'm sure people have had bad experiences with mm-hmm. them. Uh, they I mean. There again, by reading about mimosas, Veda, and of course you and I grew up with them our, our whole lives. I mean, some of that stuff has to be true. So I mean, I'm not saying run out and get a mimosa tree. And like I said, don't go to a nursery because you're not yeah. going to be able to find no. a mimosa tree. And I remember then they came out with the purple-leafed, remember that, mimosa oh, tree? Oh, right. And people were, I was thinking, okay, well, that's going to get people mm-hmm. really interested in, in mimosas. This was years ago. No. no. So. Yeah. I wonder if it would take off now because things people are are blending things differently and enjoying something that looks different but is the same thing. So I wonder if mimosas would take off now being well, that color. Remember last week we talked about Virginia creeper and to mm-hmm. me that was a yes or a no depending on where it's growing. In my opinion, on my back fence it's a big fat no, okay? <laughs> And the same thing with the mimosa. I like I, that is a, that is a yes for me mm-hmm. uh, because there again of the hummingbirds, the butterflies, and it really hasn't been a messy tree mm-hmm. for me. Right. And it hasn't really, you know, it hasn't been a brittle tree. Now it's fifteen, eighteen years old, and maybe it's getting you know long in the tooth. And you know, the next time I have a little snow or ice storm, the whole thing yeah, might come crashing down. But so far, I'm saying so good. Now, it's not one of these trees that's going to live to be 100 years old like an oak tree. Mm-hmm. Okay, I already know that. So Yeah, yeah, so short-lived tree. Something about that mimosa, that short-lived tree. And then you even, well, you had just alluded to the Virginia creeper. Yeah. Which, when I was doing ordering for trees and shrubs and all of that, 
one of the things that was available was the Virginia Creeper. And I'm thinking, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I can't figure out which one to do because it's got some pretty attributes. Yeah, and, we, and that's the one we were talking about last week. You know, was it a yes or no mm-hmm. plant? And, you know, because my neighbor's got it grown on the front of his house, that's all fine and good. But we're talking about if you let it get on the wood, then mm-hmm. you got a problem. Yeah, and I've, I've never checked to see what zone it goes to because possibly in the cooler areas it's not growing as fast. Where here it's just in everything. Oh, it grows 30 foot a year. Yeah. I mean, this stuff just grows like kudzu, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, it does. And, you know, one thing that's going to be happening, we were talking about, fixing to talk about stink bugs mm-hmm. and all is my stink my stink bugs? I feel like I own stink bugs. Well, let's hope because, not. I know, but in the winter time, like I'll put a blanket out and it's folded up and haven't used it on the patio yet because it's not cold enough. And then it gets cold and I pick up that blanket to shake it off and the stink bugs are hibernating. Yeah. And then I feel bad and I want to put them back in there and let them hibernate. But really, Kenneth, what about your? St- Think bug. Yeah, I mean, just... yeah, I had a, had a lady bring in some pictures. Uh, she was having a problem with insects on her hibiscus, out of all mm-hmm. things, and this was a tropical hibiscus she was having a problem with. And it was uh, it was a picture of just these these just globs of stink bugs or harlequin bugs. Okay, mm-hmm. well, if you start reading about stink bugs, there's one out there called the marimated, the brown marimated stink bug, uh, and it's like everything else; it's an Asian stink mm-hmm. bug. Uh, it's not a native stink bug, okay? Uh, and they <laughs> the problem with them is they want to really come indoors in the wintertime. They want to get inside mm-hmm. your house, okay? Now, we all know that stink bugs and harlequin bugs, I mean, they're not good for vegetable crops mm-hmm. or other plants that they find yeah. delightful. Yeah, Let's like put it apples. That way. They love to stink. They got that, that piercing little yeah. mouth part, and they stick it in there, and uh, and they really, you know, cause a lot of damage out mm-hmm. there. Now, of course, there are some products that we can spray to kill stink bugs, but this one in particular, this brown uh, marimated stink bug, which is an Asian bug, and you know how anything that's not native, mm-hmm. you know, it just it it, the flourishes. it creates yeah. more havoc yeah. for us. Um, they just so it was it was first. Um, I think they first uh, reported it in Allentown, Pennsylvania in 2001, okay? And this uh, this thing is spread everywhere, like all these other, you know. So you're talking about a different stink bug than our standard Right, and this that, is the, yeah. the brown, um, the uh, marmated stink bug. M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-R-M-A-
Uh, of course, you can catch other insects in this trap also, but it was amazing how uh, the people in Allentown in 2001, when they first started seeing these things, uh, started using, you know, all kind of measures to get rid of them. Of course, you know, you can you can keep the population mm-hmm. down, but you're not going to get rid of them. Boy, he could patent that. You <laughs> know, you really could. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, anytime we have a garden or a landscape, you know, eventually you're always going to see a stink bug mm-hmm. or some stink bugs or what we call harlequin bugs. But this one in particular is, you know, the, the, the bigger nuisance mm-hmm. of all of them. Right. Because they still do the damage that a regular stink bug does. But they also, like I said, want to come inside and and just get in your house. Well, I need to check what type of eggs have been laid on the backside of my elephant ear. I'm pretty sure it's stink bug because there's a, a lot that live on the patio in the uh, through the season. I'm thinking it's stink bug eggs, so that's going to be the time that I will remove the eggs. And this one was the brown marmated stink bug. Mar-mated. You don't want him. No. Okay. Y'all hang on, 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call. 260-5926 or you can post a question on Facebook Live which um, we do have a texter yeah I think Audrey uh, hold on I'll get to her Audrey yes, uh, had texted in wanted to know if you can collect the seeds on a limelight hydrangea okay. um, I guess this fall mm-hmm. you know, and then plant them next year but um, yeah we'll get to that in just a second but if, like you said if you'll give us a call 260-5926 260-5926 go to the Monday 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text or like I said if you'll listen to this uh, streaming live all the time go to kwamradio.com uh, alright so Veda what about the um, growing hydrangeas from seed the limelight well as we were talking about it I'm thinking no uh, and one reason you brought up was because they're hybridized and a lot of times, hybrid things that are hybridized, you don't get a true seed from it. Yeah. Where it wouldn't look <laughs> like the one, but similar sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. You can collect the old, what am I trying to say, the dried bloom heads. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, put them in a bag, a paper bag, mm-hmm. and let them completely dry. And then kind of crumble them up really good like yeah. we do in our hands. And then you can uh, put the seed in a, in a pot, uh, you know, this fall. Good good potting soil. Keep them warm and keep them moist. Oh, you've got to do, she's got to do that and then let us know how that works out. Now, Jan, Jamie, the Master Gardeners, um, Jan sent me a picture last time of, it was the pinnacle, the limelights, mm-hmm. maybe that's what it was, but she painted them or spray painted them like candy corns. Yeah, you showed me that. Yeah, so, so they were that getting, would be so, kind of fun. So they were getting dry. They were the cutting, yeah, they were mm-hmm. cutting the, the, the stalk and yeah. the bloom after the blooms had started dry. to fade or dry. Yeah. And they were getting rainbow-colored paint. You know, you mm-hmm. you know whether it's yellow, orange, and I think white. And white. The white is the. Uh, and they were uh, spray painting mm-hmm. these blooms yeah. uh, and making these decorations yeah. out of it. So I think that's a cute idea if you're having a kids' party or 
a uh, fun party. I think that's a really cool idea. But I guess with Audrey, though, on the um, – I'm trying to get back to my Facebook page mm-hmm. here. I can't find it yet. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you have definitely tried. Yeah. I mean, take, take the old, um, you know, faded, dried – bloom heads and put them in a sack and let them really dry and, and rough them up really good and get the seed and uh, because you can you know mm-hmm. i mean seed will germinate now whether it's going to be like you said if it's a hybrid and i'm assuming these these limelights are hybrids yeah. Yeah. uh you know it, it could be very close to the mm-hmm. same genetically plant that you took it off of but maybe not exactly the same yeah it may turn out like whatever the two are hybridized from it could turn out to only one of them yeah which uh, who knows what it is. So, yeah, that would be fun to try. And uh, let's go ahead and go to Susan from Cordova. Good morning, Susan. Thanks for the call. How can we help you? Good morning. Hey, Susan. Um, I've been having, uh, well, before it rained when it was real dry, um, problems with the Japanese beetles. <coughs> they, live a, they leave a beautiful lace <laughs> mm-hmm. pattern on the leaves that they're eating. But... How do you control that? How do you get rid of that? Man, that's a great, great question. Uh, What plants are they on? Oh, um... Everything. Yeah. Roses. Yeah, okay. I was making sure it wasn't like on the... perennial hibiscus how they get the worms that eat the backsides and it looks lacy so i was making sure we weren't on that um type of insect and i think the good thing is now susan most of the japanese beetle uh, adults have you know done their damage and they're gone uh for the year until next year Mm -hmm. but um you you can look at trying to combat japanese beetles two different ways One is by spraying, and there's any spray that's got Japanese beetles on the label, whether it's a permethrin, a bifenthrin, spinosad, uh, any of those products do a good job in in getting rid of Japanese beetles. But the problem is, like I tell people, you can spray and kill every Japanese beetle you have in your landscape and have 10,000 more fly in the next day. So what we're doing, we're really spraying to keep the population down to acceptable mm-hmm. levels because you can't completely eliminate them because they have yeah. wings. They fly around. Correct. So there's, uh, there's a lot of good sprays out there. The second thing, Susan, and you can hear pros and cons about this, are the Japanese beetle traps. A Japanese beetle trap will collect, in, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of Japanese beetles. I like them because I like to put the trap in the very corner of my yard and draw them away from, you know, my desirable plants and get them closer maybe to the neighbor's yard, right? Because that's where they came from. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but, they, but a lot of people say, Susan, that if you put a trap out there, you potentially are drawing in Japanese beetles that, yeah. that maybe wouldn't make it to your landscape. but. No, because they just stop on the way. But there are so many <laughs> Japanese beetles out there now. I like doing the two-step. I like using the uh, the beetle traps, mm-hmm. and I also like to spray. And uh, case to point, Susan, and I feel your pain because I've got, and I've told Veda this, I've got some crepe myrtles on the back uh, property line against a fence, and these are light lavender crepe myrtles. And they ate Every bloom that I had on these crepe myrtles, and I mean every bloom. Maybe they like purple. Maybe it's a light it's so lavender bizarre. that they like. Yeah. I'm telling you, because the, the guy right behind me has got a... I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> so, Susan, yeah, and, and I just kind of wanted to watch and see what they did this year. And they, I'm telling you, they eat every bloom. So, 
Uh, and, and this is one of those things where Japanese beetles are not going anywhere. In fact, I think the populations are doing nothing but getting bigger yeah. and bigger every year. Well, I'm also thinking of like where they've munched out on the roses. I'm still going to put an insecticide in the soil because they turn into grubs. And so if we put an insecticide in the soil, it could uh, potentially kill the grubs and reduce it. And also, if you want to go totally natural, you can use beneficial nematodes because they'll seek out the larva. On the and, ground, you yeah, mean in the soil. on the ground in the soil. Yeah. So I'm going to work that and see if that helps any around the roses just for experimenting. So three things, putting grub killers down to kill the grub stage of the Japanese beetle, spraying, of course, when the mm-hmm. Japanese beetles are active, and thank God they're only active for about a month, you know, maybe right. a good strong thank three goodness, weeks. just long enough to put everything on the ground. Yes, Susan, and then, of course, the Japanese beetle traps, those three, uh, but I definitely like doing the spray and using mm-hmm. the traps, absolutely. And if I want to get the... Um the nematodes, what, what did you call them? They're beneficial. beneficial. Yeah, beneficial nematodes. And um, just actually now you can look up on, I think it's Planet Earth is one place to get them because they can mail order them. And it's so bizarre because, you know, the beneficial nematodes are so small, you cannot see them. And you get it like in a little vial that you mix with water. And so you feel like you're just putting water out there. What is this voodoo stuff, you know? Yeah. But um, wait probably another month because it's better if it's a little cooler and wet soil. Because if we put it out in hard sunshiny sunshine yeah what am i saying when When it's it's really hot yeah yeah, and the hard the soil becomes harder and all it'll it's just too hot for the microorganisms to go ahead and do their thing so do it a little later late summer early yeah yeah and they call them beneficial nematodes because they are there are some there's like uh benefit or nematodes that eat roots and then nematodes that eat uh insects so they could be meat eaters and plant eaters. There are bad nematodes out there and the good nematodes. Yeah. And what you're ordering, if you get those, Susan, are the good nematodes. Mm-hmm. And oh, there are some granulated that? grub killers you can put down also. Would the nematodes, if I do that in the fall, would they last throughout the winter? Yeah, because, see, we actually have in our soil, but we just don't have enough. So, yeah, once you get them in the soil, they can populate and oh, yeah. uh I would still probably do it twice to get your populations up quicker. During the fall, then do it again in the early spring. Right, right. It's a great idea. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll try both. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Have a great weekend, dear. See, it's like the... Texas two-step for the fire ants. Then you've got the two-step for the Japanese beetles. Uh, there's the two-step for the moles. So in other words, it's taken like a, a repellent and a killer at the same time. And and because like on fire ants, that was the thing. One treatment of a uh, repellent wouldn't mm-hmm. work or one treatment of an insecticide wouldn't mm-hmm. work. But when they started using, using them the together. Using the baits and the, and the yeah. sprays and the drenches. If you put the repellent down, because you had to think this through, because like on the moles, you didn't want to put the repellent down and they leave and then you put uh, the mole killer out. So that would be counterproductive. But like on the ants, since the tunnels go so far down, if you put a repellent, get them to start coming up, and then you're spraying or uh, pouring your insecticide into the fire ant mound, you've got a better chance of getting it to the queen. Well, people would do both. They would drench mm-hmm. the mounds uh, with acephate or something mm-hmm. like that, a good heavy drenching. But you had to you know, drench them heavy enough, Ada, 
to get that that insecticide down to the queen, like mm-hmm. you said. And then they were also using the baits. Yeah. Uh, they'd go out and forage and grab the bait and take it back down, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, to uh, to the other ants. But Yeah, the bait is really good, too, because it's got to get to the queen. To yeah, really or they're just going to move. They're going to pack up and move. I think and, it took something like three gallons of water to wash stuff all the way down to the queen. But I was reading... Um, some articles about some of the baits, and it's amazing how some of the fire ant baits, the ants are smart enough to where they won't take it down to the queen. Right, yeah. Uh, they know it's just, it's not whatever they've got in their mouth, they're running mm-hmm. down there. They don't want it to get to the queen. Yeah. Where there are some baits that, and they've run tests on this, I think one might be extinguish, mm-hmm. and I think the other one might be uh, the spinosad that will make it all the way down to the queen. And, of course, like you said, you got to get rid of the queen to get rid of the mound. But it's amazing how this, these little varmints are, they're smart. You know, there was something, I'm going to have to look this back up, that caused them to move the queen. And when you're moving the queen... Well, if, you, they feel, if, they, if they feel threatened, mm-hmm. they will move. And that's what I'm saying. You can go out there, and let's say if you're using a drench mm-hmm. method to get rid of fire ants... You've got your watering can with your insecticide solution already mixed in the water, and you pour it on the mound. Well, if you don't pour enough in there mm-hmm. to get it really soaked all the way through, they'll pack up and move, yeah. you know, two yards over and build another mound. You know, so you're constantly just moving them things around. I'm trying to think. Did I ever put a water hose down in the mounds? I cannot remember. Hmm. But it, it, those fire ants would climb up that water hose and get on your hands yeah. so fast. But but <laughs> but to Carol though in the in the Japanese Beatles, and I'll get off this in just a second, Veda. Uh, you know, I was reading where you know, and you and I both know that when they were in East Tennessee, you know, I didn't give them two thoughts. Yeah. And then they same. made it to Nashville, and I'm thinking, well, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. they're still in Middle Tennessee, and we'd see one or two Japanese beetles. But she made the comment about them loving roses, and that is the truth. I mean, there's a lot of things them dang things will eat, mm-hmm. including every bloom off my Japanese, uh, uh, off my crepe myrtles. But I think, you know, the roses are the caviar to these things. I'm going to prune all my roses back and see if they'll flush back out and bloom for the fall. But otherwise, we need to go to a break real quick. So call us at 260-5926 or leave us a question on our Facebook. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are here with us. Um, So the future weather forecast, future weather, Mm. got my, what's that? We're talking about a day in advance or we're talking about? Uh, The sea. Okay. So this winter, okay. The farmer's almanac. (laughs) Here she goes. Says it's shivery. It's shivery. Is that? Yeah. Shivery. Yeah. Yeah. Wet and slushy. So for us, we're getting shivery, <laughs> wet, and slushy. Which is the par for the course. Mm, yeah. But, you know, I think Memphis is located there because you can't go any farther past the river. And I'm glad they didn't put us on the other side, I no. think. What are you saying? There's something wrong with West Memphis there, Miss Veda, on the radio? You know, well, I forget West Memphis is over there, so no. Right. But it's it just seems that like, little but you're right. I mean, of, we start getting these big storms that come out of or across Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Man, when they get to the bluff or to the river, yeah. I mean, something magical happens. It kind of just either dies yeah. or just separates. Unless you know? it's Hurricane Elvis. Yeah. But Noah, is that Noah, N-O-A-A? Mm-hmm. Um, didn't want to say that one wrong. It's got warmer. It's predicting warmer 
So this time they're like, agree to disagree. So shivery, wet and slushy, which would that be? So we're stuck. We're right there. We're always right there where that cold could get us really yeah. good or it's going to stay well, I mean, warm. We're definitely on a transition line. You know, it, it, even further south of us, they tend to get a lot more ice. Yeah, uh, which even is so in bizarre. Central Mississippi, and you know, uh-huh. and we, yeah, it's crazy. Who well, knows? Collierville's got the strange weather pattern uh, versus what we what we have, and it's Memphis doesn't seem that big, but there's midtown weather, and then there's out east weather, <laughs> farther out east, like <laughs> close to Fayette County, which you're in that general direction too, and then we've got the Collierville. Yeah, and then area. you've got you know my house, you know that gets no rain. Oh, and Jim's house too. Yeah, so yeah, you know, golly. <laughs> so anyway, the weather is just a big guess, but will we have a, like a warmer winter? Because then you can work in your yard more when there's a warmer winter. And that's what Paul Little used to always say. You know, when the black hole of horticulture around here, because. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we usually have pretty benign winters, mm-hmm. if you think about it. But we still can have a lot of damage done during our winters because it seems like we'll go from a 55-degree day yeah. to a 13-degree night. It is those sudden drops in temperature that our plants just can't take. Mm-hmm. Remember two or three years ago, Veda, basically every hydrangea in Memphis was killed to the ground because Man, of that. Man, I forgot about that. You know, it, it is just it's not the cold weather. It's just the... These, mm-hmm. The extreme fluctuations yeah. from this temperature during the mm-hmm. day to this temperature at night. So it's like, no, it's not too cold for this plant, except for yeah. three nights out of the winter. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly uh, right. And so we've got it. Because you could almost, there's a lot of things that we plant as annuals, but, and um, they could almost last through, like begonias sometimes. They can last through the whole season. Lantanas and if begonias. If we don't have and that, that Geraniums. Yeah, yeah. roses. <laughs> Poinsettias. <laughs> uh, yeah. Poinsettias. You know that they are st- here in Memphis in these hot greenhouses, no choice. They're starting the poinsettias now. Yep. They're little starts. and. And we get from, you do, we do, we get from the local grower for sure. the poinsettias. So that way they get tender love and care and they don't have to travel like three from three states over. They could come just a couple of miles to our location. But thank goodness the winter kills them, though. I mean, it's yeah, just trying to overwinter a poinsettia. You'll never from, like poinsettias after Christmas because for, your mom, didn't she have one that just gets white flies? And I told she's trying you to the make story. She, she, she loved the poinsettia. You know, in the spring, she took it outside. She planted it in the back bed and this thing got five foot tall three foot wide it was absolutely beautiful Mm -hmm. but it was a white fly magnet (laughs) every white fly in the neighborhood wanted to go to that poinsettia (laughs) so finally one day i'm back there cutting the grass in the backyard and i'm like i've had enough of this i can't stand because she's getting white flies. she's got herbs back there also Uh, so the white flower taking advantage of the poinsettia Mm -hmm. that's what's drawn them there and then hey there's some nice looking herbs let me get on those So I did finally just take the thing. I dug it up, pulled it up, and put it in the trash can. Never said a word uh. to anybody. I hope she's not listening <laughs> right. right now. So Did she yeah. forget that it was forget about it? I think later on in life she asked me about it. Ah, you know, she probably knew yeah. exactly what yeah, I did. Yeah. And I explained why. But, you know, it's it's just there are certain plants that are going to uh, attract certain insects. and Because their conditions are wrong. <laughs> you know, like poinsettia outside for us is... Is on the borderline, but haven't you heard a few people have luck with them? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, my wife, she's um, my wife. My, she gets a phone call for some, from some friends of ours this mm-hmm. week. 
with pitchers, of course, and there's these little holes out there being dug all in the yard. And then um, uh, Valerie and Sean, and then they did see finally that it was a almost a hornet-looking wasp oh, yeah. that was digging these holes. And it's, it's a digger wasp, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, normally they're not going to really bother anything, Veda, uh, because they're more of a a lone type mm-hmm. wasp it's not like they're you know protecting a queen and there's a million in there if you get around it they're going to come out and sting you to death right <laughs> these things are out looking for crickets and grasshoppers and cicadas that they'll sting and paralyze them and drag them back to their <laughs> hole you know for their offspring but the problem is they they look menacing i mean they can get one and a half to two inches long and the females can sting okay yeah. even though they're not aggressive but in their mind valerie and sean they're like well, we've got grandkids out mm-hmm. here playing around, and if they happen to step on one of these things, you know, a female, I mean, and it's a, you know, it's a pain. Mm-hmm. You you can get stung by them. So they were wanting to know how to get rid of these digger wasps, and of course, it's like really any other wasp that's in the ground. Whether you get horned and wasp spray and shoot it down in the holes, you do want to go out there at night with a flashlight because they're mm-hmm. not. That's when they're in the hole. Okay, uh, and they're surely not aggressive then. You know, at night. So whether it's the hornet and wasp spray that you're shooting down in the hole, uh, whether you're just saturating that area uh, with a uh, just a generic insecticide, whether it's a malathion or permethrin, mm-hmm. whatever, and then some people even get the dust, and they'll dust it out there like a permethrin dust. But it kind of freaked them out, Veda. I guess so. So they're really not aggressive unless you run right on the top of them. Exactly, unless you step on one, right. We'll be back for another hour. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to the second hour of... That'd be the third. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to the Second third. hour? Yeah. <laughs> Where are we? How did we get here? <laughs> third hour. Eight o'clock's the third at six, seven, eight. Yeah. See, we, uh, I just can't get awake this morning at all. I mean, y'all don't drink NyQuil if you got to get up really early in the morning. <laughs> but at least I'm not sneezing and sniffling this and all is that. True. Y'all don't. Y'all rather hear me a little bit sleepy than all that. Exactly. So we said, oh well, first let's take a caller, but. We had listed a name of insects we were going to talk about, and we had lace bugs and fall army worms. Yeah, just to name a few. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And we'll talk about some boxwood mites if we get a chance, and then the old mealy bugs. Uh, I got a story uh, about that, but also you know some of the some of the re- <laughs> the repellents that we use to get yeah. rid of varmints. There are things we need to talk about. Today. Oh yeah. Okay, Dwight. Good morning, Dwight. Thanks for the call. Good morning. Hey, Dwight. Good morning to you, buddy. Thank you. My wife, Mary Jo, and I are sitting out in the backyard. It's mown, and there's uh, beautiful flowers all over. Mm-hmm. Most of them are uh, perennials. Mm-hmm. So, uh, nice. That's that. Yeah, uh, perennials give you long-term enjoyment. Yeah, Dwight and his wife are like me. We'll Mm -hmm. finally figure it out. You know, we love annual color because it blooms every day, but you got to plant them every year. 
And as we get a little older, we're like, mm. hang on, man. Some There's some perennials out there. Yeah, <laughs> that come back every year for us. Yes. I've even moved. Uh, uh, someone gave me, uh, you know, a cotton bloom years ago, and I had it one place. But mm-hmm. now I've got it in several pots. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, that's wonderful. And then I, I grow some uh I put some uh, uh, annuals mm-hmm. in the bottom of it and mm-hmm. strip the leaves. So anyway, it's just all yeah. over uh, uh, from everything from uh, flocks uh, mm-hmm. and uh, grandpa's uh, whiskers and, yeah. and that. Yeah. But th- a few d- weeks ago or so, you had mentioned, and I, I'd like to get the story exactly about a, an, a flying insect mm. that was beneficial to an ant, wasn't it? And right. the ants were going so yeah. could you go over that? Before we leave, I want to tell you, too, I was out here one day, and I saw a squirrel jump into my neighbor's uh, a crepe myrtle, and it bit the uh, part of it down mm-hmm. and, and over a hanging basket that I have that, that, that there's nothing in it. Uh-huh. Well, I draped it in that, and it looks like this uh, crepe myrtle's <laughs> Growing and blooming. It will. Oh, it, yeah. it, it'll take root. That's good. Well, no, no. no <laughs> it's not rooted. Yeah. It's just down in there. Uh, so it looks like it's blooming. Oh. It's not, it's not planted. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like a beneficial. Right. I was going to say, this time the squirrel did something good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cute. Uh, so right. I was talking about um, mm-hmm. how <clears throat> ants like aphids, or the ants okay. carry the aphids to the mounds because they've got that sticky secretion which the ants are liking. So hold on. So aphids give off that sticky honeydew. Yeah. Which is sweet, okay? Right. And that's Mm -hmm. what the ants are after. Yeah, it's that sweet honeydew. But then they take them um, because they're using them as symbiotic relationship at first. Mm -hmm. You know, the ants and the aphids are like, hey, we're all good. But then as time progresses, the ants are actually capturing them for food for the queen. But what they do is because the aphids... Uh, morph into having wings so what the ants do is pull their wings off That's so crazy. they'll stay or or inject them with a chemical so they can't even grow wings so they'll stay and actually they fight predators too the aphids do so first they're in this great symbiotic relationship and so the aphids are going down for dinner and find out they're the dinner <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you so you're okay. welcome. Thanks so Thanks, much for Dwight. the call, Appreciate Dwight. the call, buddy, and have a great weekend. Nature's but crazy. Right. It is, baby. But they, um, you know, the ants are they are protecting the aphids because mm-hmm. the aphids are giving them food. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Where you know, another small little bodied insect like mm-hmm. that, soft bodied insect, they would use it as food. Yeah, but not the aphids because they yeah. give off that honeydew. Right, uh, which and they can protect, and so they don't fly food. away. <laughs> Wow, I know. I mean, you know, think about this. There are some critters, small critters, that if you enlarged them to see their face, they would fit right into that movie called Alien. Oh, yeah. So all those alien things are just enlarged insects. Hey, Mother Nature's got that stuff figured out, yeah. I'm telling you. And and then, you know, a lot of times, not only insects, but uh, Dwight was just mentioning the old dreaded squirrel, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sweet thing tastes good in soup. You know, you know I mean, we, <laughs> God, 
talking to a gentleman yesterday. He said, Kenny, they have just torn my garden up. And if you're growing tomatoes, I mean, I don't care if you've never seen a squirrel in your life. So I guess they're not as cute as Alvin and the chipmunks. No, Mm ma'am. No. You're going to get a squirrel. I mean, you just are. Mm -hmm. And he said, man, they've been taking the red tomatoes. Now they're grabbing the green tomatoes. And it's the same old story we hear all the time. They love them just as much as we do, if not more. And then, you know, people, have, they'll go to any end mm-hmm. to rid their garden of squirrels. You're not kidding. Whether they're out there with, you know, a pellet gun, whether <laughs> they, you know, out there with flashlights. Well, I've heard of people putting transistor radios out there on mm-hmm. a talk show, you know, just, <laughs> I mean, sprinklers that move, you know, if there's motion detected sprinkler, I mean, anything to get rid of these dang squirrels. And then it made me start thinking about the molded owl. Yeah. You know, because eventually, you know, initially when you bought an, uh, an owl, mm-hmm. uh, it was like a balloon that you blew up and you kind of tied him <laughs> up out there on a stick, right? Yeah. And then they got the molded owl, uh, which looks just like an owl. It's made out of a hard molded plastic. And then, as you know, then they did the molded owl with the rotating yeah. head and these big yellow eyes. And the thing is, though, <laughs> if you ever use... It's kind of like a scarecrow. Let me put it this way. You know, a yeah. scarecrow never moves. Yeah. And eventually you can see the bird just sitting on the scarecrow because they figured out <laughs> right. this thing yeah. just doesn't this move. It's like the, all the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the same thing with the, the molded owls mm-hmm. is that if you, you've got to keep the things moved around. Yeah. You yeah, know, I mean, I mean, because if you just set it out there in your garden on top of the fence post right there and... It never moves. I mean, eventually, initially, they're like, hey, there's an owl. I'm uh, staying low. You know, yeah. I'm getting away from here. But they figure it out, Beta. If, if you don't keep it, if, if there's no movement involved in it, mm-hmm. uh, it, they'll just catch on and just keep snagging those tomatoes. Like, and, and, and I've seen, I promise you, I've seen this with my own eyes. A lot of times we'll put the molded owls out there, not just because of the squirrel repellent, side of it but also the bird repellent Mm -hmm. because owls you know they're 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 predators of course they'll eat birds and squirrels i have seen birds a robin in this case on a fence sitting right beside the molded owl eating a (laughs) tomato okay and and that's the thing i mean i love using the scarecrow tactics whether it's a scarecrow a molded owl the owl that has the rotating head i mean they're great i'm telling you but don't rest on your laurels. If you do use those type of products, you have to make sure that you fool. you got to continue to fool the birds and the squirrels. Yeah, it's like any repellent. We're always having to do it. And uh, snakes don't uh, really eat squirrels, but snakes we put... The Aren't rubber snakes, the blow-up yeah. snakes. I mean, right. yes. but you have to move those also. You have to. Yeah. That is the key behind it. In fact, I've even seen people take a molded owl Mm-hmm. and tie it on a string almost mm-hmm. like and and have it hanging where the wind yeah, kind of moves that's it that's good because uh, you still get the movement that mm-hmm. way and i still i like the ones that have the rotating head you know yeah. that they you know the heads kind of bobble they kind of move around but it's the movement mm-hmm. more than anything that it's not just the the owl itself it's the movement and the owl so if you use those type products guys and you used them in the past and you want successful then just make sure that you get out there and you move these things around. Man, repellents. Like, I had a friend that built, 
or like to weld things and take parts and all of that and make um, animals or people yeah. or whatever. So he made a uh, tall figure yeah. with lots of pieces of different kind of art. And then he attached a radio to the figure uh-huh. and it was activated. Well, that, that figure's been out there forever. Yeah. So I go out there and I'm walking around. And I'm. And this act- is in a garden this area? Is, yeah, in his yard, but this okay. whole yard. He's had a number of them now, but yeah. to repel the deer. Yeah. Well, I didn't know it was in there, and basically, when I walked by, it activated it. The radio, and I, yeah, and or I knew it no was. one was there. So when it activated, man, it worked on just, you. Yes, and I thought, okay, now I get it. Yeah. That would really scare a deer. Okay, deers, we'll be right back after this. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. We're in the third hour. If you'll give us a call, 260-5926. Is that right? 260-5926. Or go to Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text like uh, Audrey and and Jan did. It said, Audrey said, long pieces of aluminum foil because you're right. Anything Mm -hmm. that's shiny, that's unnatural, Mm -hmm. they don't like it. And then Jan said he found that the shiny pinwheels... Uh, even work mm-hmm. better than the owls that he's used. You know, so I you like can buy that. the pinwheels that we stick in the ground. The wind mm-hmm. blows them. Yeah. And the, they come in different colors, but there's also mm-hmm. some that come in that real shiny aluminum yeah. look. And can you imagine? Because <laughs> that's moving. That's a yeah. great idea also. So I'd probably have to do my <coughs> things seasonally. Like the pinwheels would be the summer. The owls be the fall for Halloween. Yeah. So I'd have to do seasonal stuff in my yard. <laughs> but both of those long pieces of aluminum, because, you know, we've always heard of hanging aluminum pie pans out yeah. there that the wind blows and the sun hits it mm-hmm. and it's shiny. So anything that's unnatural looking like that mm-hmm. definitely acts as a decent re- mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew someone that built a 12-foot fence square, large, large, and then put the wire on the top. No, he put netting all on the top. He made the cage. Yeah, the cage for gardening. So there you didn't have the deer problem. You didn't have the bird problem or the squirrel problem. And, I mean, that would be... but. Yeah, I was thinking one a squirrel eating one tomato is worth putting a whole cage up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And then, of course, we know that especially when it comes to deer, uh, you know, one of the best kept secrets out there is old fashioned milorganite. Yeah, uh, which is true. a great organic fertilizer, but it also dubs as a really good deer repellent. I think it's one of the most successful ones. I hear more success stories. You know, and we've got you know fox urine, coyote mm-hmm. urine, all these different dried urines, and they do a great job. Yeah. Uh, but but for deer in particular, I mean, if I'm out there feeding my stuff anyway, you know, right. with milorganite, uh, then I also know that it's going to act mm-hmm. as a good deer repellent, but it's not going to work on squirrels and no. birds and all this other stuff. And that's where, you know, where Audrey was saying, you know, the long pieces of aluminum. Mm-hmm. And then um, Jan was saying, you know, put the pinwheels out there. I think all of those would mm-hmm. be great. I might do them all at the same time if I was having those issues all at the same time. But like we always say, the milorganite needs to go farther out, not around your plants. 
Well, you can use it around your plants to feed them, but as far as the repellent. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the repellent should be farther out so the deer don't even get close to your plants. That's a good sniff of that hydrangea, right? Yeah, because then they're probably... But see, the mill organite, because of what it's made of, gives them a a smell that they think there's a predator. Absolutely, or humans around or whatever. Right, right. So try that because you're also getting the fertilization benefit. Exactly. Do your whole yard in it. Well, we've got... Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Thanks for the call this morning. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Yourself? Hey, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Good morning to you, buddy. Look, I just had one observation to make, and I guess we all are like this to a degree. One of my great friends, Jane Carter, who used to be president of the gardeners, came up to me one day and said, you know what? Being a master gardener is the worst thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> Why would he say that? Why would you say that, Miss Jane? As hard as you work and as hard, and you look at your yard or whatever, he says, you know, most people can go in their backyard, sit down, have a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. right. and just look around and, and say, but this, this is nice. Kind of yeah. like Dwight Master- did a while ago, right? Right. right. A master gardener cannot do that. You oh, walk out there, sit down a minute, sit down with a cup of coffee, and first thing you know, he says, boy, that needs to be cut back mm-hmm. in there. Isn't that the truth? Replanted. And and that hydrangea's got something got to be done with that. So anyway, it's hard <laughs> to enjoy what we've accomplished. You are so right, Jamie. Isn't that the curse? You yes, know, you yes. can't go out there and just enjoy what you have mm-hmm. as it is. No, right. you got to go out there and sit down with that cup of coffee, like Jamie just said, yeah. and look around and see what all needs to be done. Well, I totally know what you oh, mean because when I travel. And I just look at all the shrubs and, you know, look in people's yards and all that. And I thought to myself, can I not think about it when I'm traveling? Can I just enjoy this? <laughs> so, yes, you are so right, Jamie. So, Jamie, what do you tell people that have that, that problem, just, just to calm down and enjoy it? <laughs> you know, I can't do it myself, so it's hard for me to tell somebody else not to do it. That's so but true. I, you know, that's the situation that we are because... You deal with plants all the time. Mm-hmm. And my, my, my grass, for the first time in, in probably four or five years, yeah. is the best it's ever been. Yeah. But anyway, and of course, I, I missed a week of cutting it. Yeah. yeah. You can bake it now, but, you know, that, <laughs> uh, that's, that's just one of the things that goes along with all this stuff. But anyway, I, I just thought that was a great observation <laughs> you made. And, and, and we all need to do this, yep. you know, just enjoy what you've got yep. rather than uh, how we can improve it or whatever. Isn't that so. the dang truth? And it's like I said a while ago, Jamie, I can't walk to the mailbox without stopping mm-hmm. to pull no, something. You know, yeah. and I need to quit that. I need to yeah. just be able to walk down there, get the mail, and walk back up without mm-hmm. having to stop, you know? Right. Well, other, thank you. Other people can do that. They can. <laughs> we're we just, can. Jamie, we're just crazy. I walk around the neighborhood, I do my little walking and whatever, and I'm looking at yards, I'm thinking, you know, if they were to do this or that, <laughs> no. that would look better. Right. Now right. you're judging everybody yeah. in the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm, I'm everybody's conscience, you know, and I don't know why. <laughs> right, but, right. I love it. But you know what, Jamie, That that's not a bad, bad trait to have, I'm telling you. And like you said, I mean, one of these days, maybe we can sit out there in the backyard and enjoy it for what it is, but... It's nothing wrong with all with with trying to find improvements either, mm-hmm. you know. Really? Uh, yeah, well, so, anyway. I'm, so I'm, I guess I'm not going to hold. You, what I'm saying, I'm not going to hold you guilty for all of that. <laughs> yeah, really. But anyway, Jan's in the backyard now, watching them cut the yard. So anyway, <laughs> all right. Anyway. Thank you for Hopefully for you. letting us know that. I think that made a lot of people feel better. No actually. doubt, Jamie. Thank you, buddy. We love you, brother. Thank you. Right, bye bye.
And it is so true. Like when I uh, go into the garden center from so a true. distance, I'm like, yeah. But then as I walk in, I'm going, oh, that bucket's crooked. Wow, there's one weed right there. That's not in the right place. That doesn't have a price. They didn't sleep, sweep under the table. Why did the container stay out? All of those know? things, I mean, in a, in a split second. Yeah. But like Jamie said, even the, the biggest curse mm-hmm. was you invite these people to become master gardeners, yeah. you know, and, and get the information, the wealth of information mm-hmm. they give for all the right reasons. But then he turned into a curse because now he can see everything that's wrong, yeah. you know. Well, that makes me think of, of course, how we say beauty's in the eye of the beholder. No Isn't doubt. that the saying? Yes. So I, we were working, fixing to take out a landscape. This was a couple of years back. Take out a landscape of big overgrown plants in front of the house. And, and come back and redo it. Yes. Yeah. So I'm seeing how there's issues from being that way and how there's going to be uh, future issues. So we take it all out and the neighbor across the street comes over and he says, why did you remove all of that? And I go, well, it's old and overgrown and the maintenance is going to become really bad. He said, I thought that was so beautiful over there. And see, everybody else, nine out of 10 other people Mm -hmm. would have gone, that stuff needs to go. Right, exactly. When we finished it, he loved it. The neighbor mm-hmm. across the street thought it was wonderful, but he still had the liking to, of the other Some, things. So, you know, it, it, a lot of that, and especially in the garden center with younger people coming in that's not so familiar with plants, some of them have a little bit bizarre shape. You know, they're not perfect like we try to make them in the garden center, and they see that as beautiful. See, and I'm I like you. I, I just, I mean, I personally don't like the big overgrown look. Mm-hmm in front of people's houses. Now, when they bought the houses 25 years ago, yeah. you know, the shrubs were smaller, the crate myrtles they planted in front of the house, you mm-hmm. know, were the size they needed to be. You drive by that same house today, and you can't even see the front of the house. Right. You know, and yeah. to me, no. But I guess for the people that live there, they love it. And it's very difficult. You go into the garden center, and you see this beautiful thread leaf arborvita. Mm-hmm. Well, in the container, you know, it's it's kind of a yellowish color, and the thread leaf is such a great texture, and it looks like a nice little cute uh, border plant that you can put in front. So I saw somebody plant them in, all in the front, and then they had some larger shrubs in the back. Well, they didn't know that it's eight feet tall and six feet it, wide. It will get eight foot yeah. tall and six foot right. wide. And it takes 15 years. Yeah, no, but it, well, it was more like 10 years. But they will get there. Yeah, though. and it, 10 years is quicker than you think yeah. when you're growing shrubs. But it's so difficult to go in the garden center and, and figure out what's what. And I understand that. And Well, but a lot of landscapers would plant, you know, especially on new housing. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. don't know what you're getting out there. And, of course, they're planting, you know, 30 more shrubs than they should in the small area where there True. should have been 10. And, and like I said, initially it all looks great, Veda. But as things grow and mature, you know, whether you're doing a lot of pruning, a lot of maintenance on them, but, I mean, I'm driven by houses where you can't see the front of the <laughs> yeah. house anymore. Right. Some people like that. <laughs> That's my point. Yeah. All in right. the eyes of the beholder. Yeah. Or the ones that live inside, too. <laughs> <laughs> they like that. But you made up a good point where they've got 30 things planted in an area that won't hold 30 things. And that was one thing that was a little difficult with the landscaping. And I'll go over that when we come back.
morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. Appreciate all our callers this morning. It's been wonderful to hear what they've had in their garden and their experience as well. Of course, and then the textures that people text in is, yeah, but it's a great thing. So we were talking about spacing on shrubs and how, like you said, people plant 30 shrubs when you need 15. Right. So, you know, and of course that's a lucrative way to make extra money on landscaping. But a lot of homeowners do it too, just not Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, they want it to look great the day they get finished with their landscape, not thinking, Veda, Mm -hmm. that five years down the road. Yeah, they're good. And the... and. In defense of landscapers, I'm just giving them yeah. a hard time. Um, the customer wants it to be packed. They demand it. Yes. So the when I did landscaping, a lot of people called me because I would be more sustainable with mm-hmm. it, <clears throat> uh, more accurate to the growth of the plant. But still, they don't realize how less, many less shrubs you use. Because if I'm planting one shrub... <laughs> That's like in a one-gallon container, and eventually it's going to be on the corner of the house, and it's going to get 10 by 6. So you've got this big bed there, and you've got this one little (laughs) shrub, and they're not getting it. because they're uh -uh. Yeah, especially when this one comes to the ground. Now, sometimes it's easier when you put a little crepe myrtle in the middle and plant some shrubs underneath it. But then Mm. I don't like to plant shrubs too much underneath it for the competition of the roots. And then, so I've got it laid out. And they're confused on why it's not so close. So I take the measuring tape and measure what Mm -hmm. the specs are going to be and then draw that circle. And then they see how much each one has to grow. And I'm telling them, this is so you don't have to prune. This is so you don't have to change your landscape out. This is so you don't get more insect and disease problems. And they're good with that. But still, I get it when you yep. gotta have it. Looking and like I said, good a lot right of times now. the homeowners demand, you know, that it mm-hmm. look good the day that the landscaper right. walks away from their property. Yeah. And so, then, you know, I, I'll recommend. Well, let's take every other shrub out as they grow larger, but it's got to be the right timing, or you can't because you've messed up the shrubs. <laughs> so um, anyway, think about that when you're planting. Yeah, I hear you. and one thing, Veda, that we see this time of year, and we've talked about this before, is uh, late summer when it's been hot, it's been dry, and you got azaleas that are really getting maybe a little too much sun, and they've just been, you know, well, not... they didn't water enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the old dreaded lace bug. Uh, and it's out there. It's never going to go away as far as the potential problem. Mm-hmm. Lace bug are here to stay. But a lace bug, if you... If your foliage is looking kind of washed out, yeah. you know, in, in the top of it, the green, is, it looks like the green's been mm-hmm. sucked out of the leaves, and you flip it over and look on the underside of the leaf, mm-hmm. and you see these brown specks, which is lace bug residue, you've got lace bug, okay? Is that lace bug poop or lace bug? Yes, ma'am. Manure. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Manure. Yeah. So, but the, what I like to tell people is, since lace bug are always on the underside of the leaf, I like to use a systemic insecticide. Whether I'm spraying a systemic or whether I'm using a systemic drench, uh, to me, it's just, personally, it's the easiest way to get rid of lace bug. But let's just say I'm spraying my azaleas. I'm going to give them a good spray in. I'm going to wait about 10 days, two weeks, and I'm going to spray them again. But then I'm going to try to figure out why do I have lace bug to start mm-hmm. with. And usually lace bug are gravitating toward azaleas that might be weak or anemic. Too much water, mm-hmm. not enough water like you're talking yeah, about. Veda. wrong area. Exactly. Uh, too much sun. So Horrible soil. Exactly. So we can go on. <laughs> exactly. But uh, just be on the lookout because lace bug are typically, you know, starting to really show up this mm-hmm. time of year. Even though you can get them any day of the year. Right. 
late summer is when they really start yeah. to show up. So maybe that could be a two-step thing too you can put the systemic in the soil but then go ahead and spray for some immediate control but the systemic will kick in and then you've got control that way i like the systemic because it's just going around the roots you're not you like the systemic drench the one that you mix and pour right yeah that's much easier it goes right around the roots you don't have overspray. You don't have it spray don't have back. Spray at all. Just yeah. mix and pour. Yeah. So that that's really good, and that cuts back on putting things all over the environment. But like I said, not only do you want to control the lace bug, you want to figure out why do you have mm-hmm. so many lace bug. And that, like I said, it's either um, poor drainage, mm-hmm. bad soil, too much sun. Now the Encore azaleas, we know, mm-hmm. can take more sun. I've hardly seen those with lace bugs. Me either, but we're talking about old-fashioned mm-hmm. azaleas. So, um, you know, Is make that sure... primitive? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and make sure that you feed them. You know, they need a little nutrient value from time to time. Make sure you they got adequate moisture but not staying wet. So, but just... Be aware, lace bug are out there really affecting our azaleas this time of year. Yeah, because I saw some planted all in front of the house, and the very end of the flower bed, there was one azalea, half was green, and the other half had just lots of spider mite damage because it was in the sun, and it was also at the end of the bed where the water wasn't getting adequate Adequate moisture. Yeah. And another mean old bad bug I got to bring up because the lady brought a picture. You know how everybody brings in pictures on mm-hmm. their phone now instead of actual samples. So we can make it a little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's a great picture and we can blow it up uh-huh. and see what it is. What a difference that makes it in does, diagnosing. But it. I still like to see the sample too, though. It seems like true, old school, true, right? Yeah. Um, or mealybugs. Uh, you know, and a mealybug, if you've ever seen a mealybug, in this, in this case, it was on a house plant. One of the, what's the new ficus, the Audrey yeah, the ficus? Audrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on that, Veda, believe it or not. And uh, mealybugs are kind of this cottony looking bug. And if you ever see a blown up picture of them, they're just nasty looking. They're sweet and fluffy. Oh, God. <laughs> but the problem with mealybugs is they, they can be pretty hard to get rid of. They really are. And in Agreed. this case, in her case, I said there's a couple of things. There's three things she needed to do is get the old Q-tip and dip it in some alcohol and go in there and try to physically remove as much mealybugs. They always like mm-hmm. to get in the crotch of the limb. You know, the t- yeah. It's just where they hang out. So go in there and try to remove as many as you can. Secondly, I told her is to get the granulated insecticide, mm-hmm. the imidacloprid. That's gr- it, it is is house plant systemic granules is yeah. what it is, and you sprinkle that in the soil uh, in the pot and you water it in, and the roots will absorb it and you'll kill the insects from the inside out. Talk about the Texas two step again, Veda, and then come back in and spray whether it's neem oil or whether it's a permethrin or anything that's got mealybug on the label. So in her case, she was going to take it outside, get the Q-tip with alcohol, Mm -hmm. and clean it up as best she could. She was going to spray it with the triple action, which has got the neem oil and the the pyrethrin in it, and she was going to use the uh, granulated uh, insecticide granules. And... I'm pretty sure she can get rid of mm-hmm. mealybugs doing all of that. Oh, exactly. Even though she might have to spray more than one yeah. time. But just there again, it's just one of those. And she she, she had this ficus tree. For, it, this is like the third week that she's yeah. had it. So it probably had mealybugs made mm-hmm. on it when she bought it. Right, yeah. You know, it's only three weeks old. Right, so that's pretty would be pretty quick. I mean, I know the plant would be a little stressed because it traveled, of went course. in the house that doesn't have enough humidity and on down the line, but that was pretty 
Well, you know, it's amazing how quick things show it up. It is. I, mean, I had it, somebody. It, 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 I'm not saying it came yeah. in on the on the house, right, but, but it, it, could, it could have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, checking all the plants in the um, house plant area. Man, we have so many, but there was one ponytail palm. It mm-hmm. I, it just kept getting moved around. You know, decorate it here, decorate it there. I love those palms, I though. I do, too. And that one just seemed, it didn't, we never sold it because we were using it in all different places and we had lots of them. So I'm checking everything, and that ponytail palm had mealybugs on the top. So I picked it up, and I'm running out of the garden center with it. No, no, don't get on my plants. And uh, run out to the potting area and take that neem and just spray yeah. it down with neem. And then I put some worm castings on the soil yep. and uh, fertilize it with a liquid fertilizer, let it sit out there, not in the sun, mm-hmm. but let it sit out there for a little bit, and they were gone. But I still sprayed the second time because mm-hmm. they probably went down farther into the. So, you know, therefore, maybe I would add a systemic. But I always try to experiment with only feeding the soil and using an organic product mm-hmm. just to see, you know, how far you can go without having to. Well, use and neem oil is a good product. I mean, it is completely organic. Uh, and it, the. I like the triple action because it's got the neem and the pyrethrins, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're both good products. Don't get me wrong, but I just like the combination. Uh, very safe to use, but uh, it's just, you know, some insects, in my opinion, are just a little harder to control than other ones. And these dang mealybugs, uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those where it's almost impractical to think you can go in there and spray just one time with a product and you're done yeah, with mealybugs. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, just keep that in mind. And houseplants are prone to insects also, like any other plant, whether it's indoor or outdoor. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just be, be vigilant. You'll get rid of them. You know... If you, if everyone, this is another statistic, 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 yeah, this is another, okay, y'all get what I'm saying, is if everyone would uh, eat one meal without any meat, it would uh, change our emissions, you know, help our environment like a third. Not going to happen. And then it does more than electric cars, than just just one meal, you know? Well, not everybody's I mean, going to eat, have meat in yeah, every so meal. Then, so then know? let them make up for, exactly. they can have two meals without meat, so I got to have mine, <laughs> you know? But I just want to throw things out there. And the thing is, like, for us that we're so used to it and all, we're going, like you just said, no. And... uh but the younger generation, they're so very concerned, and I'm glad they're, they are. So I know it's just going to be a slow change in, in what we do because we're learning more. You mean they're more. more about the environment yeah. than maybe you and I were growing yeah. up, you know? My son is 36, and I went to his house and um, in there washing my hands and letting the water run and rinsing it and mm-hmm. all that. And he's like, Mom, turn off the water. Oh, wow. So good. I was like, what? He goes, is there any reason why it's got to just keep going? And then he told me, and I'm like, duh, I didn't think of this before, and my life came much easier. He says, you do, don't rinse all those dishes and wash them. Just put them in the dishwasher. You know, the detergent's better now. Dishwashers are better now. So you're you're not, and man, the amount of water saved in the dishwasher, 
So I just put everything in there now and turn on the dishwasher at the end of the night instead of washing. And they do just fine. Yeah, because I guess, why did we wash our... Now, why am I talking about this when we're gardening? Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, we want to try to be conservative in every mm-hmm. way that we can, you yeah. know. And rain barrels is a good way. Are we supposed to go to a break or did I totally forget it? Okay, let's go to... Well, yeah, but also, yeah, we're going to go to a break. But also, mm-hmm. Veda, and I know you want to talk about some root-bound plants and so forth, but there's also a product. Mm-hmm. And you have heard of it. That if you are trying to get things to bloom, but you're trying to do it organically. Nice. All right. We'll be right back to tell you about it. Good morning. Welcome back. We've had a good three hours. I love it. I love it. Talking to y'all for that long. We were, where were we? Well, one of the products I want to just talk about really quick, Veda, was the product called Roots Organic HP2. It's a liquid product uh, that you dilute with water and pour or spray. But the beauty of this particular product, it's got the liquid seabird guano uh, <laughs> and some rock phosphate in it. So it's really a source of phosphate, okay? Right. Uh, an organic source of phosphate, which encourages plants to bloom. Um, so if you're looking for a bloom builder mm-hmm. that's completely organic, that's water-soluble, that you spray or Poor, the uh, Roots Organic HP2 is the way to go. Now, who would have ever thought they would make a fertilizer out of seabird guano? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't know, you know? Uh, when we did that soil soup thing, yeah. they actually had it in there a while back because I remember thinking, okay, how do you get seabird guano? And don't I don't want to know. I know. And I'm like, please don't tell me they've got a whole bunch of them in the cage, you know, like they do rabbit cages <laughs> so it can fall below it and they scoop it out you know there's even they called it cricket crap (laughs) yeah i don't know about that at all yeah you have to take a whole bunch of crickets we have so many varieties of manures do we need a cricket crap yeah i don't know (laughs) but to me there's no bad manure that's out there okay right as far as you know the, the chicken and the cow and the Millorganite and now Cricket and Seabird yeah. and Bat. They're uh, all good guanos, yeah. And that's why we like to have them mixed together so you don't have to buy one of everything because each one has elements in it. They have nitrogen. Some have the phosphorus. Because think about it. You know, we eat, the animals eat, and they're eating all this good product, and it turns into really good manure. Well, good compost. And, you know, whether it's even homemade compost, and we talk about this all the time, Veda, I don't care if it's just ground-up leaves. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, homemade compost is a wonderful thing also. And compost is the life of your soil, yeah. uh, organic matter. Now, it doesn't have to be 90% organic matter because, mm-hmm. in fact, that can even be more detrimental you know, yeah. so many people would dig as they're creating a bed. They'll dig all the native clay out of the bed mm. and fill it with nothing but pure organic That's material. Horrible. No, it's not good. Yeah. You need some of that native clay out there. But, um, yeah, this is uh, the HP2 or uh, Roots Organic. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty neat product, I'm telling Interesting. you. Interesting. And also, speaking of compost, you know the truck liners that goes in the bed of the truck like a tr- oh, oh so you got a pickup truck yeah is that what we're talking about right, and you got right. that back the back of the pickup mm-hmm. liner that yes. yeah that plastic liner so it's almost like a big swimming pool yeah yeah, yeah some oh nice that you just sit in the <laughs> yeah. back of the truck. right so he's <laughs> it put it in the back of where the shed is and the uh 
fences. So and it's all. not in the back of his truck anymore. Right. It. Yeah, that's true. He didn't put the truck back there. He put the bed liner back in the corner where you don't see it, and that's his compost pile. He drilled holes in it because you've got to have the water, it. but that's his compost pile. Now, d- did he take it out of the back of the truck because he just didn't need it right, anymore? Right, right. It, it had a, like a crack in oh, the I side or something So what can like I that. use this thing for? Yeah, exactly. So... You know, that works, especially if you're not seeing it. It probably wouldn't look that bad, even if you did see it. No, so, but, it but it still collects and holds all of mm-hmm. the compost that he's making. Right, yeah. And you just, like he said, he goes, I don't take care of it properly. And I'm like, well, what do you, you know, what do you mean? He goes, I don't turn it very much. Yeah. I'm going, I didn't turn mine either, hardly, because I was waiting or I could wait a little bit, but turning it just makes it compost faster. Well, and that's the thing, Veda, as you know, whether, you know, some people just have a big, area or, or an area where they just put a big pile of everything, mm-hmm. you know, and just let it decompose and turn into compost yeah. on its own, on its own time. Right. But a lot of people want to really speed up that process. Mm-hmm. And that's where they'll get compost bins. Yeah. They'll get compost maker that you uh-huh. work into the compost material that you're trying yeah. to break down. Uh, so there are ways to accelerate it, mm-hmm. but I'm with you. I mean, if he's got the big truck bed stuck back there. Well, it's the earthworms and the microorganisms that break the soil down into usable compost. Um, And what you get out of good, healthy soil is the microorganisms and the worms and all of that. But um, when I would add new a good pile like i'd have the compost in there but i would add a good pile of debris from the yard which is setting up higher i always threw some of that biotone in there just to just to speed up that composting and of course i would take the bottom and put it on the top somewhat but then i didn't want to use all my good compost at the bottom putting it on the top but the other thing is is you have to have greens and browns to have really good compost and, and for it to percolate like it mm-hmm. should, yeah, you yeah, need it's, it's not true. just ground up leaves mm-hmm. or just grass clippings. Yeah. You're right. You need a combination of those, yeah, no you doubt. Need both. If you put, you can definitely put sticks in the compost pile, but break mm-hmm. them up. I've cleaned my garden out and just threw everything in the compost pile. And even, you know, if you cut your grass, now, I love to cut my grass and have the grass clippings fall in the yard because right. you get a lot of uh, nitrogen. But yeah, a lot of people wait, don't use a bag. They're, they're using yeah. a mulching more uh, more than mm-hmm. ever now and not, and not catching those grass yeah. clippings, like you said. Yeah, Bella. so that's sustainable. But then I would take, like Jamie said, my grass has grown so much I could bale it. So I'll take that extra. And some people are worried about weed seeds in their compost, but we're, the compost pile has to be so hot. It heats up. Yeah, it heats up and kills the weed seeds. But then maybe I think a soil th- thermometer is good to make sure you can get it up to, I think, 130 uh, degrees. Mm. But normally when you've got your stuff just breaking down into good compost, it's got the right temperature. Well, and the beauty is also if you don't have room or time to make your own compost, we've said this a thousand times, there's so many products that are on the market now that you just go buy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's so easy for us nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, is, wanted, if yeah. you want a chicken manure, just go buy a bag just of chicken it. manure. Mm-hmm. There's, like I said, cow manures. There's cotton burr compost. Yeah. There's cotton burr blend. Uh, earthworm castings. There's so many different types of compost out there on the market now, and they're all good. There's nothing wrong with any of them. Now, some people in particular like to use, hey, I want chicken manure Mm because I know it's stronger than, say, cow manure. 
And then there's some people that go, no, 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 don't use anything uh-huh. but cow manure. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're all good products. And that's why I like to switch my products around because when you're using natural products, you're getting all kinds of minerals and nutrients and stuff like that. But then a different product will have a little bit something different that's mm. beneficial. We wouldn't, re- I mean, if you can put lime on your yard to make it change the pH, it's just little pellets of lime, you know. It's, you just don't think it's But it's important, though. Very important. Well, I could say we'd go another hour, but... <laughs> Here she goes, yeah, y'all. Yeah, so we have had a great time. Get y'all's questions together for next weekend. Yeah. And uh, we will see you next weekend in the garden. See you, Beta.